not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. Get along. Karen, horror, death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no sides. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello, everybody. Everybody. What a shitty way to start a podcast with a misspelled, mispronounced. Am I drunk? What's happening? I'm barely five seconds in. This is supposed to be a serious episode about the Middle East peace crisis and Trump's move to make Jerusalem the capital of Israel, recognized officially by the U.S. and move the embassy there. And I'll get to that in a bit. But I did not start like a professional there at all. Never messed up the second word of the podcast before. I probably have. Who am I kidding? That's an inflated sense of ego. I mean, ego. Oh, that was on purpose, but you knew that because it wasn't acted well. When things aren't acted well, people sense it. That's why good actors are what is respected more than actors who don't act good. And that's my shallow thoughts for the evening. I did have a cool experience. I think if talking's hard for me, I wouldn't be allowed to fly a plane, but I was in New York last week for the Today Show. This week, sorry, two days ago. And uh, I got to fly a plane again, second time recently. My buddy Nick Tarasio, who owns Ventura Flight, he and his family, uh, took my girlfriend and I and some friends of ours up in an airplane, a tiny six-seater plane, to fly to dinner in New Haven, Connecticut, coolest thing in the world, and best way to do it. Something fancy like that is when it costs you no money because your friend has the plane and you don't have to pay anything. So that's the only way I could have done it, and that's very nice of him to have done that for my lady. She flew the plane kind of aggressively, tilting it left and right because he said you could do that, and so she just did it pretty ballsily. Um, I took the reins on the flight back and was not as confident. Also, we'd eaten dinner and drank a little, so I feel like people didn't probably want their insides being jostled about. But flying at night was much more interesting and difficult than when I flew about a month earlier during the daytime, shooting the first episode of this web series that I'm going to be hopefully helping to produce. It's going to be coming to Facebook Watch called Comedians on Another Plane. I named the web series. You think watching comedians in cars, just getting coffee is interesting. Watch them flying damn airplanes. Talking about some deep shit. Just keep that in mind when you look for things. I'll let you know when it comes out. But it's going to be pretty darn cool. And um, I think it's a series you'll enjoy. But but uh, Nick also used to be a stunt pilot. And as we were coming back from dinner. or Sorry, on the way to dinner, rather, my mistake. He says to us, you guys ready for some stunt flying? I didn't even check in with everybody on the plane. I just said, yeah, on the headphones. 
and he immediately went up into the craziest climb, sharp pull back on his wheel thingy. I don't know why I'm allowed to fly a plane. I don't even know the name of it. I just call it a wheel thingy. But pulled straight back on the controls, and we shot up straight in the air. Our stomachs dropped, felt weightless, went up 500 feet in like three seconds. It was crazy. Uh, real cool feeling, though. Very unique. He feels safe up there, you know? As safe as you can be in an incredibly unsafe thing. And then I, on the way back from dinner, I basically flew the plane, not all the way to landing, but close to it. I flew that plane towards our, our ending zone. What's it called? Runway. Um, pretty efficiently. When I was trying to do it off the altimeter, the thing that judge that tells you how high you are, I was flailing wildly. People in the back were not confident in my flying skills, nor was I. I was going too high, then too low. I was going from 1,100 feet to 1,700 feet. I was trying to keep it at 1,400, couldn't do it. But once I just looked out in the distance and let Earth be my God, I did so much better, which I think maybe is a theme that'll come up later in the podcast, but we need to respect the Earth. It's got a lot of answers for us to some of the complex problems we've created. I got to do a cool thing, though, I'll tell you before we get into the nitty-gritty. We also have Twitter answers in a second. Uh, I got to guest host HQ, the trivia app that I am addicted to. If you guys aren't playing it yet, uh, download the app for iPhone only that thus far called HQ Trivia. Twice a day, they have a live trivia game show hosted usually by Scott Rogowski. Funny dude, but they have guest hosts sometimes. And I tweeted, I love the the app, and the CEO asked me to guest host it when I was in New York. So I did exactly that, and it was super fun, and an unbelievable amount of haters in the comments and Twitter uh, during this thing that's seen live by 300,000 people every day. But a lot of love, too. So that was nice, and I've been invited back. But um, if you like trivia and like winning money, costs nothing to join or to play, download the app and use my referral code GLEEB, G-L-E, lowercase i, B. All the rest of it is in caps. Just use the referral code GLEEB, and you get to sign up then, and I get a free life, an extra life every time someone signs up. That's not an ad. It's just I get a free life, and I don't want to keep playing, so that would be cool. Um, we will do Twitter answers in a moment, of course. I don't want you to think we won't, because we will. But I would be remiss if we first didn't talk about the biggest story of the week before we head into our Middle East special here, which, of course, is... Taylor Swift held hands with some fucking new guy she's dating. Named Joe Walzen, Allwine, Sumwine. I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to care, and I don't. But every news outlet was covering this week that she held hands with a dude. I mean, the media really just loves to create news out of absolute horseshit nonsense holding hands with somebody you're eating out of her manufactured hands she has a manufactured self-image and you're eating out of it like a chirpy little bird i want you to be very honest with yourself about that of course today while we're covering hand holding 
net neutrality is probably going to be forced to a vote by the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and its uh, inept evil man uh, head of it, Ajit Pai, who wants to get more control over the free communications of our country and perhaps censor the Internet or charge us for accessing sites we like and love or give the permission to huge internet service provider companies, the permission to censor or slow down the coverage that you get from websites that you love, the access to them, because they don't like sites that compete with them, takes the internet, that's our one great hope for humanity, makes it another thing ruled just by conglomerates and the highest bidder. We cannot have that happening, so please... If you see online today on Twitter, especially any time today, call your representatives, leave comments on the FCC's page, demand on Twitter that they do not hold it into a vote, they do not overturn net neutrality. That would be bad if they did that. And also, it would be not good. On that note, it is time for Twitter Answers. I checked in with the Brain Trust, the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the big Glebers and all of us, the friends with benefits, the Glebe Squad, the Glebe Mob, the Glob, the Glebe Nation, of course. The Brain Trust that you all are and will ever be, will always be. Whenever I meet you my shows, we always brain trust it out. You'll know what that means when you see me at the shows that you're kind enough to come out to. But I asked y'all with our favorite hashtag Twitter answers to describe your holiday season so far in a movie title. A lot of responses. Sir William at Weeping Rose Prod said, waiting to exhale. I hear that, I replied. Amelia Thornton at Mistis Library said the Shawshank Redemption. I said, explain. Well, Amelia went radio silent after that. Because you can't explain it, Amelia. It's nonsensical. Unless you are an immense prison. At Cold Charming says fatal attraction. I asked to elaborate, no response. At PodCon no longer. Sleepless in Seattle. I said, why sleepless? Rhea Peach at PodCon replied, I live in Seattle and get excited about holidays, so I can't sleep. That's cute. That's super cute. Who else we got? At UK Brain Trust, the British Bureau of this podcast, we get to shout out right now because there will not be a Twitter, I mean a Thunder Round this episode. There will be next week when the guest will be Nikki Glazer, the great comedian, former host of uh, Unsafe Space on Comedy Central, host of an upcoming Sirius Satellite Radio show, and a guest next week on Last Week on Earth. Um, Chris at UK Brain Trust says, Deliverance. Because he's a postman in Blackpool, England. And he says, the worst time of year to be a postman. Hard work all the way to Christmas Day in hellish conditions. Currently below zero. Hashtag still in shorts. <laughs> he always wears shorts. Why don't you put on pants, bro? Put on some damn pants. At Justin Pate 10 says, The Conjuring. You can be doing some witch shit, bro. You're doing some witch shit. 
I had a witch ex-girlfriend. I won't tell you which one, but you could probably guess. <clears throat> At JCB75 says a series, a series of unfortunate events. Touche. The hateful eight replies that why did tip? I get that. At STWOE33 says the money pit. Feel you on that as well. Holidays get expensive. Yeah. Jamble bamble. At Mike Cole, at Mike underscore Colson says planes, trains, and automobiles. Great movie. Great damn movie. Ryan Byrne says the crying game. Ah, you gotta check that junk, bro. You gotta check that junk. Fight Club says the edumacated detective. I understand. At underscore BTCB underscore says the mummy. The old school mummy. Because my mother-in-law's in town. Oh, snapple dapple. Snapple dapple on a platter made of apples. What else we got? Eddie Berry, I feel you on this one. It's a mad, 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 mad world. True. I don't know if that's a movie title or it's more than a song or it might be. Kevin Michael Rowe says, To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. The great drag queen movie. These for drag queens, you can usually tell it's a drag queen. No need to check the junk. Drag queens are your thing, you go do it. If they're not your thing, then don't do it. I mean, sexually, you get it. You gotta respect all people, though. You just don't have to have sex with all people, and that's part of the beauty of a free world. Waiting to exhale, says Marilyn Washaba. I get that. David YYYYY says, white men can't jump. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Anything at all. Get the nightmare before Christmas, Meg Duncan replies with. Get out, says Leanne Walker. I'm not coming to your house, my God. My God. No when I go to Allison Williams' house for the holidays. You get it. Oh, man. One flow of the cuckoo's nest says Claire Fairmount. Frozen says Bruce Moore because he's a cartoon human. I think we've all known that for quite some time. Workaholic says Ensign underscore poo. So sorry to hear that. It's a wonderful life, says John Teeples. That's really sweet. That's really, really, really sweet. Teresa Stammer says, a few good men. Oh, Teresa, getting freaky during the holidays. Getting freaky from the holidays. Fillmore Papafinger says, there will be blood. Oh, shit, Fillmore. You want to drink that milkshake? Drink it up. Drink it up, dog. Green Mile says, D to the G. Why? Because as in I've spent a mile of green. I like the plan words there. Still a sad money situation, but I like the way you phrased it. Emily A. Wallen said, cannibal hookers too. And I don't know what that is, but I want to definitely check that out immediately. Sounds like a great movie to be perfectly honest to you. Okay. I'm going to try to be perfectly honest to you. Beep, 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 beep. That's our Twitter answers. I will tell you that you can see me on my 2018 tour as the Glebe Squad Tour of 2017 is done. The as yet unnamed 2018 tour 
which might be a good name for it. I'm writing it down right now as yet unnamed. So I called it that last week, I think, as well. 2018 tour uh, is coming up January, early January. I'm in Tampa and then Tahoe and then Chicago, all in Jan. And then after that, I'm going to Edmonton and Indio and Phoenix and Minnesota. And I'm going to Boston after that. I'm going to Dallas, Texas and Plano, Texas. So get your tickets at BenGlebe.com or at least start getting your groups together. Tell your friends for the as-yet-named 2018 tour. And if you want to also get a little bit more free Gleebertainment, another thing I just made up, and I don't know if it sounded stupid or cool, but I have started every week writing an email newsletter for all of you to enjoy. And um, you can subscribe to it. Isn't that fun? I'm writing a personal thing, either personal thoughts about things going on in my life or some reflections on the world. Um, And you get it for free in your email inbox every week. Just sign up for it at benglebe.com slash newsletter sign up. So you can just go ahead and do that. And then you did it. And um, it's just fun for you to know. And I'm glad that you know it. And it's time to get into the get into Israel, Palestine, conflict, Trump. So as we talked about briefly last week, President Trump with a lowercase t, or we could call him President Rump, is a solid move as well. You resist in your own way, I'll resist in mine. Did a move that I actually pretty much agree with. He followed through on what all U.S. presidents of recent history have promised to do, to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's proper capital. He also wants to move the embassy there, and it's a pretty aggressive move, and it's definitely setting off unrest all over the Middle East and widespread condemnation in many parts of the world. But I agree with it just in the respect that Israel is its own sovereign country. It was established by the world community, by the U.N., something that few countries are established in that way as a response to the Holocaust and Jews being almost wiped off of the face of the earth and the world doing nothing to stop it until it was almost too late. Much of my family, sadly, my ancestors perishing in that Holocaust. My grandfather's brothers and my other grandparents' family. and So to create a refuge, as promised in the Bible, the, or as you know, the promised land from the Bible, that... The Jews had always historically been given that land and lived in that land. The United Nations decided to give the Jews a a formal state for the Jewish people in Israel. And the country was established. And earlier there was a British mandate, you'll hear about later in the podcast, that put the Jews there. And it was officially made a nation in the aftermath of our Second World War. And immediately after the nation was established, all of its Arab neighbors attacked it and refused to accept it. And luckily, this is 1948, and, you know, luckily Israel, even right off the bat, had an amazing army and had had so much shit that it 
the Jewish people had suffered during the Holocaust, they were not ready to take any more. And they fought back and they won and gained more territory. And as you do when you're attacked, any nation does, you expand to the territory you won during that conflict. No one ever gives back land that they win during conflict, which Israel, as you'll also hear coming up, has had to do once or twice already. And so it's not an easy issue because Palestinians were kicked out of the land they were, they were in at the time. And that sucks as well. And when Israel made gains, they occupied territories instead of annexing them and making them properly part of their country which they didn't want to do because they wanted it to be a Jewish state. And if they did, they would have an Arab majority state and they would lose the whole purpose of what Israel was supposed to be. But they keep them in this perpetual occupied state, which also sucks and is very oppressive to the Palestinian people who want their own state. At the same time, a lot of, Pal- a lot of uh, Arab nations surrounding the territories and surrounding Israel don't want those Palestinians to be part of their nation as well. So it's not just Israel that's keeping them down. And Israel lets them be part of the government, lets Israeli Palestinians live and worship freely and, like I said, be part of the parliament, which is pretty embracing, I think. But they also are known historically to overreact when there are rockets sent in and they kill far more people than are ever killed on the Israeli side, and that makes the world community not look at them positively for good reason, because that is an overreaction oftentimes, and it's not cool to do. But I traveled to Israel back in May and dove into this topic firsthand. I'm going to play you some audio throughout this podcast. It's going to be a long one. A lot of different perspectives I captured, both from the Palestinian and Israeli side, mostly Israelis, but I actually went into the Palestinian territories as well. I'm half Israeli, and literally I went in where it's, I couldn't tell anybody I was Israeli. There were signs that said, if you're an Israeli citizen, which I'm not, but it said, if you're an Israeli citizen or an Israeli, if you cross this line, you're risking your life. Signs, printed formal signs saying that. That's a scary sign, huh? I went in there to get a sense of what the Palestinian territories were like and what their life is like. A little bit more on that later, but Just to give you a little bit more context here to the story, as Al Jazeera reported, Jerusalem is home to holy religious sites of huge significance for Muslims, Christians, and Jews. West Jerusalem was seized by Israel during the 1948 Arab-Israeli War when more than 750,000 Palestinians were expelled from historic Palestine, referred to by Palestinians as the Nakba, or catastrophe, exactly when Israel was officially founded. After that, Israel occupied and annexed the eastern part of Jerusalem after its military victory in the 1967 war. But its control over East Jerusalem has never been recognized by the international community. They had Western Jerusalem, but didn't have Eastern until 67 war when again Israel was attacked from many sides and just responded and gained more territory. So the Palestinians want occupied East Jerusalem as the capital of a future state while Israel says the city cannot be divided. Why? Because it's their city now. They won it during war. And these people try to kill them all the time, so they don't want to give half of their holy city, including East Jerusalem is where all the holy sites are. I traveled exactly to there. I went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where Jesus is supposed to have died. I put my hands on the rock where he supposedly laid 
to rest as he was dying, it was a spiritual moment for me. I'm not even Christian. I saw the the temple on the mount, and I prayed at the western wall and put notes in it. And I saw the holy mosque, which is the third holiest site for Arabs. But it's the third holiest site, just to be technical about it. For the Jews, the Wailing Wall is the number one holy site for them in the planet. But, um, you know, there have been random stabbings there over the years. And I was there a couple of years ago, and I did a podcast in there. I was afraid to go with my dad to, to the Wailing Wall and enter Jerusalem because there were so many stabbings. And it was at least calmer when I was there back in May. But it's an intense, scary place. And there's no easy answers. But maybe you'll start to crystallize your opinions and come up with some ideas. Or at least you'll have a better understanding of what's going down there. And, and at best, maybe you'll have some ideas crystallizing your brain as to how peace could possibly be forged. What philosophies could lead us maybe that way. But to continue a little bit of the background, after Israel took Eastern Jerusalem in the 1967 war, it was never recognized by the international community. The international communities recognized any other nation's capital. That is one fairly war, so why not Israel's? Diplomats and experts have long vouched for a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, one state for Israelis, one state for Palestinians. But a lot of people think in the world now that after Trump's announcement, there is a growing consensus that the, that a two-state solution is effectively dead, that by giving all of Israel recognized by America to, but all of Jerusalem recognized by America to the Israelis, that in America's then indicating that Palestinians don't have a right to any part of Jerusalem, to, which they hope to be their capital of their eventual Palestinian state. There was a big, just today, a huge conference of Palestinian and Arab leaders from different Arab countries around the world. And Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas called for the UN to replace Washington as a Mideast mediator, even though they've been trying to make peace in the Middle East, Americans have for forever, and suggested that he might not cooperate with Trump administration's anticipated effort to try to solve the Middle East peace crisis, which, I mean, I wouldn't hold your breath for that anyway. They put Jared Kushner on it, and the guy looks like he'd have a hard time choosing a Porsche in a used Porsche lot. Not that you can't afford a new one, but he just looks kind of like a used car kind of guy to me. And the Associated Press reported that... um at this extraordinary summit of 57 Islamic nations and different Islamic groups and members that attended, um, they're all calling on Trump to rescind this on what they say is an unlawful decision that might trigger chaos in the region. How about just make it not trigger chaos? Ah, but it's not that easy, is it? As you're going to hear, it is very complex. But Washington Post reported that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who's got a weird thing on his lip always, and it freaks me out and it's hard for me to focus when he talks, but he's angry and very aggressive usually when he speaks. Didn't like Obama, loves Trump. It's another thing confusing about him. But I get it because Trump's got his interests more in mind. And Obama was more down the middle of the road on this issue and condemned Israel for the expanding settlements, which I agree is ridiculous that settlements keep expanding in Israel. They do want a two-state solution. Don't keep building more settlements in the Palestinian territories and in disputed areas. But Netanyahu does make a good point that 
Israel is a fair democracy and controlling Jerusalem under Israeli control, it's the only way to ensure freedom of access to the city's holy sites to Jews, Christians, and Muslims. When Jews were expelled back in, in, uh, were expelled from Jerusalem's old city in the 1948 Arab-Israeli war and synagogues were ransacked and destroyed before they took back Eastern Jerusalem in 1967. Um, but during that same war, meant during, the, during that war, many Palestinian Christians fled or were expelled from areas that are now under Israeli control. And like the displaced Palestinians, other displaced Palestinians, they are denied the right to return. But in reaction to Trump's announcement, Netanyahu said there would be no change whatsoever to the status quo of the holy sites, meaning everybody still has access. And again, showing why I think Israel generally is a pretty, has a pretty respected opinion, respectable opinion and way of dealing with things, except when it doesn't, like keeping the people partitioned off and the Palestinians partitioned off in the Palestinian territories and not giving them freedom of movement and sometimes cutting off their access to supplies and overreacting when tons of rockets come their way, which to some degree is also understandable. Why? Because when people send rockets into your city, you're going to react. Imagine people send rockets into America. We'd be pissed, bro. One thing you have to know that will be mentioned on the podcast is the green line is considered the pre-1967 borders or the 1949 agreement from, uh, from the armistice. It's just a demarcation line that agreed between the armies of Israel and its neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria, after the 48 Arab-Israeli war, they decided this green line would be the de facto borders just until formal borders got set up. And um, after the Six-Day War, the territories captured by Israel beyond the green line came to be designated as East Jerusalem, like we just discussed, the West Bank which is one of the two main Palestinian territories, that in the Gaza Strip. I traveled into the West Bank for an interview you'll hear in a few minutes with an Israel, with a uh, Palestinian, rather, tour guide. And he and I got along great and then also got a little heated towards the end of it. Didn't end great. Um, went into the West Bank. He took us on a tour of Ramallah and Bethlehem. I went and visited Yasser Arafat's grave, the former Palestinian leader, and paid my respects. I went to the church of the na- of the nativity in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. It was a very Jesus-heavy trip for me. And that wasn't even the religion I was most interested in diving into. I wanted to hear about the Muslims and the Jews. But hey, throw the Christians in there. I got time. And um, so this is going to be definitely a more serious episode than you're used to, but it's very timely. It's very important we get our thoughts straight on this. And I've got this very interesting audio Risk my life going in there. I mean, not really, but kind of. They definitely don't like Israeli Jews going into the Palestinian territories, and I did it. Just to bring audio to you guys, and because I was just damn curious. It seemed super cool to check it out and get perspective on both sides. And so, uh, that's all you need to know to go into it. So this first of a bunch of sections of this podcast coming at you, just to give you a quick overview, there'll be my Israeli tour guide, a brilliant guy named Mikhail Bauer, who will be the first section I'll play now. Then my Palestinian tour guide, a man named Yamin. Then I spoke to a shop owner and his son, mostly his son speaks, his son David, 
in the old city of Yaffa for his perspective on the Palestinian problem, Palestinian-Israeli problem. Then I spoke to an, uh, an Israeli author who used to live in America who wrote a book about the taking of East Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. And then I'll play you a clip of a stand-up taping I did in Israel at a place called Chelsea Bar in Tel Aviv, which was pretty cool in English. Don't worry. And then uh, a quick interview or conversation walking through Jerusalem with my friend Rick Sorkin, who was one of the facilitators on my reality Israel trip. If you ever want to experience Israel yourself, you can go check out, just Google reality Israel. It's a Schusterman Foundation initiative, and they have different verticals like storytellers, tech, women, um, VR, health, wellness. Mine was storytellers, and we were in Israel with 50 other storytellers of different kinds, journalists. I was the only comedian. There were singers, actors, entertainers, reporters, publicists. All of us together became close friends during this amazing, unforgettable seven-day trip when they curated the most amazing experience all throughout Israel for us. And we really got to know this country that I'd been to several times before, but in a whole new way. And just it was an insane, eye-opening cultural experience. really made me love Israel, but also certainly question some tactics and wonder how this problem could be solved. And um, the hashtag is Reality Israel. If you want to look up some pictures and things and learn about the trip, look on Twitter and Instagram or follow reality storytellers on Instagram. But our tour guide for the seven days was this really wonderful storyteller named Mikhail Bauer. Sounded very much like this. He's like, you have to understand there's a green line, and nobody respects the green line, and it's very complex, but at the same time very simple. It's offering to you a different way to look at it, a different solution. Sounded like an Israeli Robin Williams to me. And uh, on our tour bus, I asked him to have a quick conversation with me. We have about an eight-minute conversation. Oh, I forgot to tell you uh, the rest of the rundown. And then you will hear a about a 30-minute conversation after Rick with my cousin, Gilly Brenner, who works for, for the Israeli parliament right now in the government. And uh, she's very smart. Um, she used to go to Cambridge, and she's done a lot of work with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and working with Palestinians, and it's just very smart and talks about why Israel's hated so much and asymmetrical war and some very interesting concepts. And then it ends with a guy here, a Lebanese man that I became friends with who was on that very airplane flight with me and my girlfriend and my buddy Nick and my friend Donna from the Today Show and my friend Sarah from the Israel Trip who does the Big Kid Problems Instagram page. He is an acro yoga instructor, but he was in Lebanon during a very crazy time, a very scary time, and he has an amazing perspective to end the podcast. But I go now to Mikhail Bauer and our eight-minute conversation to kick it all off, 34 minutes into the podcast, um, asking him, is peace possible in the Middle East? And why a lot of Israelis think Trump is kind of alternative medicine. Take a listen. So, yeah, so I was talking the other day and we were doing the event in the old city of Yafo, and I, I went and talked to the store owner and his father about their thoughts about Trump and the Middle East, or the you know the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and they were not hopeful that a solution was possible. They thought that the only solution really was to offer 
pay packages to the Palestinians to move because they said that any concession of a two-state solution, while in theory it's nice, at the end of the day, they think that the Arab world just uses those territories as a way to annihilate Israel. And so at the end of the day, if you give territory, they're just going to use it more to bomb and to try to annihilate Israel. So how do you give up territory that makes that closer? And they were maybe hopeful to the idea that Trump could maybe, that he was a friend of Israel at least, but they didn't know what to make of him. What do you think about, I guess, those, those two questions? First of all, I do agree that the, the Arab world would, would have liked to annihilate Israel. The thing is that they probably understood that they cannot. And as long as they believe that they cannot, they might look for another way, either to live with Israel or find some resolution, which could be temporary, but it might be worth a while doing something temporary, and maybe that will be the beginning of something a bit more consistent. Uh, at the same time, we always need to remember that whatever we do, I don't think we have any solution, but some resolution, uh, we have to have that in mind, that it's done because probably the other side believes that there's no other way of getting rid of us, so let's find a way of living with us. Right. And we need to have that in mind while we compromise or move forward. As for Trump, Trump is a big question mark. We are not fully aware, most Israelis don't really know who Trump is. A lot of the domestic news that's covering Trump and all of the jokes about Trump that are being told in America, we don't hear them. So at the end of the day, we are not, we don't even know what the product is. We were surprised. And like you were saying, it's about stuff you guys don't care about, our domestic issues. Exactly. Whether you're going to have gay rights or not gay rights, if there'll be abortions or not, we couldn't care less. It's not our business. Right. You have your own domestic issues. Absolutely. And... When it comes to us, in the meantime, well, Trump said a few comments, not, not so terrible. You don't need to agree with, with all of it, but we can live with them. And we are a bit used to the idea of different or weird leaders. Look up north between Erdogan to Putin to Saudi Arabia or Iran with some of those leaders are wearing dresses. Right. Uh, so in, in this case... Trump is and not, killing people and killing people constantly. Right. So Trump Trump's is wearing a suit and he hasn't killed anybody. Yet. So he maybe he's not as crazy. Right. So at the end of the day, it's a big question mark. We just need to to, to wait to wait and see. And people over here, you know, when you when you when someone is sick, you're willing to hear anything. Suddenly, people go to alternative medicine. People True. Go to, and over here, it's a sick place. So we're willing to hear alternative medicine, conventional <laughs> right. medicine, whatever you have to offer, willing at least to, to try it. Right. And so, because historically, people here in Israel have seen that Republican presidents, Democratic presidents, all of them have failed, completely opposite sides of the political spectrum. Trump is as crazy as he is. He's that outsider. He's known for making deals and being unconventional, making deals at all costs, even. Maybe that's what he theoretically could bring. Look, you have, you have, as you said, you have three models, Republican, Democratic, and Trump. Exactly. We tried both, and now we're trying the third. Let's see what happens. Exactly. So how much of the, the uh, how much of, how much is it an argument against what the shop owner and his son said about being afraid that any concession or any peace plan would end up... Um, just feeding into the hands of the Arab world that would use the new gained lands to try to annihilate Israel. How much of that is, is, is not accurate because of the American alliance? Because they know that America is going to not allow Israel to be annihilated, does that negate that point? I can't argue with the fact that we are counting on America and America as an alliance. I believe that in our psyche and the way we, we are raised and we don't trust anyone. At the end of the day, we are looking at ourselves. 
So America is a huge support. America is crucial, but we don't see America as the complete answer. The fear that we have, which is justified, all of us saw some conflict in some point, some violence and violence in some point. The fear is is out there. The question is, what can we do with that fear? The fear will be there, whether you're left, whether you're right. Where you, we are, we are all with with some some elements of fear. The question is, if you'll have a majority in it of Israeli that will be, in spite of the fear, willing to compromise, and eventually it will be all, it, it all depends if we will believe the other side. It's not about America. Right. If Israelis will believe that on the other side, whether it's Palestinians, the Arab world, there's someone that we trust, that we believe, similar to the way we trusted Sadat, Egyptian president in, in the late 70s, you will see that people will be able to put the fear aside. They'll not lose it. They'll be afraid. Right. But they'll be able, they'll be more willing to take risks. And as long as we don't have that trust, we just are, are afraid of taking a risk. But how much is I don't know how much is it just then lip service that the Israelis say they want a two-state solution, but they don't want it in any practical way that's going to increase that fear. How much is it just saying, yeah, theoretically I would love peace, but not in not in any real way that we have to. It's, it, you're right, but what we say over here, and it goes according to most polls, that most of us, most Israelis, be, want and believe in a two-state solution, and most Israelis are afraid of going forward and doing it. So it's, it, you're right, it's theoretical, it's real. We do want a two-state solution, we, we are afraid of a two-state solution. So it's a real thing, I mean, it, it's contradicting, but it's something true. That's why we are torn a bit between what we think, a lot of us, what we think is right, although we don't think it's smart, and what our heart and our, and our, and our brains are going. Our brains say, well, our heart says, no, that's not right, we should do one, two, three, four. And then our brain says, yes, but in this case you will face a hostile reality and so on and so forth. Do most Palestinians want it? Uh, well, I guess you need to ask the Palestinians. But polls say that Palestinians, Palestinians believe in it, want a two-state solution. The question is, is it's something strategic or tactical? Do they want a two-state solution because that's the way they want to live? Or they think it's a good beginning towards a one state of their own? Right. The fact is that if you look at the last uh, inner polls in the Birzeit University, near Ramallah, the majority of youngsters voted for Hamas. Hamas doesn't talk about two-state two state solutions. And they're a terrorist organization. Small side note. Right. <laughs> so uh, so when, when, when we see that, obviously we are saying, oh, oh, so we're exactly our partner. Or in other words, you can, the way you can summarize it, you have Fatah and Hamas pretty much dominating the politics of the other side. Fatah lost elections, cancelled them, are now in charge. We're supposed to negotiate with them who are not necessarily able to deliver. And Hamas, who could deliver, we don't have much to discuss because they are a terror organization. Right. So we are torn here with when it comes to finding a partner. And you were telling us, last thing here, you were telling us too, the, the problem is that Hamas is the one that delivers on their word to the Palestinian people. So they're the ones that build the schools and they say they will and all of that. So they have the trust of the people more than the organization in charge does. Absolutely. Today people trust Hamas more than the Palestinian Authority. Uh, people believe them. They can, del- they can deliver. If you get an agreement with Hamas, they could deliver it on the ground. The question is, what kind of agreement you get to a terror organization that calls your destruction? Mm-hmm. Perfect partner, really. The answer is Trump is the great white hope in the end. Well, <laughs> you <laughs> those are my words. You say that. <laughs> Thanks, Michal. So that was Michal Bauer on our tour bus driving through Israel. 
And let's jump right now to the other side of the conflict. As I said, I went right into the Palestinian territories. This conversation took place in Banksy's Waldorf Hotel. I think this is about a 20-minute conversation. Banksy is a big supporter of the Palestinians and uh, sympathized with their cause. And he has artwork all over the Palestinian territories. And he built his Waldorf Hotel, a hotel-slash-exhibit right on the dividing wall that the Israelis built between the Israeli and Palestinian territories um, to keep the Palestinians out and to also keep them from attacking and suicide attacking and launching rockets into Israel, so for dual reasons. Um, and I spoke with him um, from Banksy's Waldorf Hotel after seeing Ramallah and Bethlehem, after walking all through, after seeing the torn-down stone, crumbling neighborhoods, the decrepit conditions that they were in. They were not great. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Some of it was beautiful. We walked through a nice market, got some nice food, had some nice department stores, great ice cream shop we ate ice cream at, but also it was pretty run down and pretty crappy in a lot of the neighborhood areas and definitely not a place I'd want to live. Um, and obviously that leads to the desperation of the people and the lack of hope. But his name was Yamin. And I talked to him about what could bring peace. And um, he seemed to dispute some historical facts to me, but um, things I'd come to understand, he said they were not true. You can be the judge yourself. Um, I asked him why, or he told, talked about why it's a political conflict and not a religious one, and why the Palestinians don't yet feel it's time to even recognize Israel's right to exist. Take a listen. So they, they didn't build it on the green line. Why? Why did they build it right here? I told you, Israel, uh, when they built this wall, that was, I think, during area Sharon time, and their whole idea to make the Palestinians angry, to make them cause trouble, and they can have excuses to continue their daily occupation and to, to expanding the settlements. Israel, they, they did, nobody knows which way the wall, Israel, they haven't finished it yet. So the wall's been surprising the Palestinians, cut their land, cut their relatives. I know in some areas, uh, people, they, they protest and, uh, and they're trying to be together, Israelis, Palestinians and international against the wall. But unfortunately, Israel soldiers, they never ever trained how to deal with non-violent protests. Right away when they see the protest, they attack it. And in some areas like Bilain and uh, in the north and in near Jenin and Kalkiria, the wall still still uh, being constructed. So they haven't finished it yet. But we don't know which way and why. The, the I told you, if that was built for secret reason, why it's over here? Do you know right. what I mean? There's always a question mark. Thank you. And we would like to hear the you know the answer. But most places where the wall is in Israel, it is separating the Palestinian territories from Israel proper, right? No, that's here not it's true. not. But but I thought. Where's the, we saw on our tour many places where it actually does no, separate. No, if you look at the map at the wall, no, because maybe you you seen a wall in Israel and you think it's in Israel, but it's not. I I checked the wall map. 85% of the wall, 85 to 90% of the wall built on the Palestinian territory. And the distance between 5 to 10 kilometers or to 20 kilometers away from the Green Line. So when you say 90% of the wall built on the Palestinian territory, that means less than 10% built on the, on, the, on the Green Line, not in Israel. On the green line. Right. No, I'm not saying the green line. I understand that the that the green line is not what's being honored after yeah. after '67. Israel took more territory. I understand that, but I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's fine here. But in most places, the wall is trying to separate the newly claimed 
land that Israel took in 67 from the Palestinians, look, right? Look, let's be honest. Like here, you. it's Palestinian and Palestinian, but a lot of places like we saw near the Lebanon border, near the Syrian no, no, border, the separation yeah, walls. Oh, that's different. Right. No, 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 that's, that's different. That's like between the between the borders, like because Israel, they don't want the Palestinians to return back. And even I have seen mines all over. If you go to Jordan Valley, we're talking about different. We are talking about those, those borders from 1967. We're talking about the walls from the year of 2002. It has nothing to oh, do with the borders. Oh, this wall is 2002. Yes, oh, not 67. The, you're talking about 1967. It's a difference. We're talking about this wall built during the Second Intifada in the year of 2002. Got it. And that was to try to... Taibe, Taibe. And that was to try to put down the the Second Intifada. Because because during the Second Intifada, there were so many explosions and terrorist attacks. That's what the Israelis say, say at least, is the reason they yeah. built the wall, right? Yeah, to and stop I, And I explained today, there's... Uh, you can... I can show you... And I showed the group today. There's many ways where thousands of Palestinians were... They can enter Jerusalem illegally. Right. There's hundreds of ways. So if that's and there's still holes in the wall too. There's still gaps every, every, everywhere. But the Palestinians, there were a lot of pressure on Hamas from the Palestinian people to not do the same crimes of the Israelis, to stop exploding and stuff. Because you might explode yourself and kill innocent people, or you might kill someone who are pro-Palestinian, mm-hmm. Israeli who are against, mm-hmm. Israeli activists, or there's many Israelis who are willing and many Israelis who are facing and many Israelis who are fighting for Palestinians' rights. So the whole idea about killing the same crimes, the most, of the, and I'm I'm, on a, I'm on one of them. I'm against the suicide bombers attack. Right. Because when Israel they bomb children, nobody called it a terror attack. When Palestinians explode himself right away they call it a terror attack. So we try and the media always focusing on the Palestinians like on, on one side of the story, like the Palestinians exploring themselves. So the wall will never ever bring peace. Right. What's bring peace is justice and the end incubation and the settlements. This is this and wall just will fall one day. It's not it's like Berlin. People who have experienced the wall, they know this is not the best solution to build walls. Right. Walls will create more hatred and right. more enemies and more... And you'd be surprised, though, the 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 Israeli-Palestinian conflict gets covered pro-Palestinian a lot in the States these days, actually, it, and around the world. There seems to be like a lot of people saying that Israel is, is overreacting, and there yeah. seems to be a lot of coverage that way. When in the last 50 years, before the social media, yes, it was all the media biased, brought Israel, and Israel, they know how to win by, by controlling the world by media. And until today, we feel like there's still some biased media, but people, they cannot lie. They cannot lie until when. There's a lot of social media. There's a lot of heavy media documents. If anything happened now, I can record it and publish it online. Mm-hmm. But before, there were no social media. Before they were before the social media, there were no like technology, no, no iPhone. It, they're big cameras, video. It's hard right. to take. And people, they were targeting by the Israelis. Who are you know Israel were targeting the journalists until today, so they want to try to not spread the words. So in how the can last people follow years, you online, by the way? Follow who? You Green Olive Tours? No, no. Just, yeah, the Green Olive Tours. Yeah, or you weird. personally? By by typing any uh, words like uh, tours in Palestine, tours in Israel, uh, alternative political Twitter? tours. Uh, not me personally, but okay. uh, I have uh, a messenger and WhatsApp is good enough. <laughs> okay, fair enough. WhatsApp is good enough. So the wall is what makes is a big part of what's making the Palestinians angrier. But obviously, they're angry in general because that of they, the occupation. Yeah. Just because of the occupation, they don't get to. They were in '67. They were pushed out of even in '48. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They were pushed out of land that that was theirs because the world community decided that the, that the Jews needed a home state, a safe state, right? And so then in 67, when Israel was attacked from all sides and they pushed back and gained all this territory, then the Palestinian refugees were, were created, right? Is that mostly, are they mostly no, from mostly 67? Mostly 1948, no. Mostly 48. And, and a lot of people, they don't know the truth about 1967. They always say the Arab countries, they tried to, Israel in 1967, they tried to make it a greater Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and, and uh, 
Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, and Palestine. And they, until today, they have, in 1970, they have occupied the, or invaded the West Bank and Golan Heights until today under Israeli control and the Jordan Valley. Israel, they always trying to expand, but they're trying to wait for the good opportunity. And, and of course, Israel, what they have done to the Palestinians, they make the neighborhood, which is Lebanon, Syria, uh, Jordan angry. But America, they got involved and other countries, they got involved to keep the countries surrounding Israel like a little bit far away or not get involved. Right. That's so, why there's many countries that are not getting involved. And Palestinians, right. they feel that they left alone. Uh, Israel the did attack first in 67 because all the troops were building up, right? Yeah. They were afraid they were going to be attacked. Yeah. But then in 48, all the Arab countries did attack Israel the moment Israel was was declared. In 1948, no, that's true. Let me correct you. In 1948, is, the British left us. Right. And Israel, they start doing a lot of massacres. Makes a lot of Arab, they want to attack Israel because of the massacres that they're killing us, which is we we bought the blood shop. Israel, when it was created, it was created by good Jews. It was created by the Zionist Jews. You have to understand. And Not the that, native Jews, at least you're no, saying. The, I mean, the, the native Jews, the original bad. Jews, the original Jews who used to live over here, they used to live with the Palestinians like brothers. They couldn't in peace, leave this yeah. in peace. Those original Jews, we need them back. They love the country. They cannot stay in a country where Jews are killing the others. When Israel was created, they massacred thousands of Palestinians, but the massacre, nobody mentioned about them. I know, I told you, my family, they're everywhere because of Israel. All the Palestinians separate because of Israel. Why we should recognize Israel? What do you think? We should give, like, flowers to Israel? Mm-hmm. So, as I said earlier, we will recognize Israel if they treat us as a human and as a human being. But then if that's true, why does every charter... And every official statement still not say we'll recognize Israel's right to exist because if you want to be treated like humans, don't you also have to treat Israel like humans and treat no, the look, Jews that are like we, humans? Look, we, we are talking about there's, let's say, Israel, they got the power and they got the control. If they make our life easier, then we can negotiate, we can talk. But at the moment, there's no be stuck because there's still occupation, there's still settlements. Our government and Mahmoud Abbas, and you can find it on the internet, we did recognize Israel, but they didn't recognize us. Israel, they don't want us to recognize it. They don't want peace. Just the bottom line. I'm not talking about the Israeli people. I'm talking about the government. Right. They don't want peace. They You're want... saying you have many Jewish friends and many Israeli more friends. more than Palestinians. I do. I have their contacts, and they come even to visit me. When we did the grand opening, more than 100 Israelis came into this. Of this hotel? Yeah. Of the Waldorf yeah, Hotel? Yeah, they got an invitation. So I told you, this is not a Jewish and Israeli, uh, Jewish and uh, Muslim conflict or a Christian and Jewish Muslim. It's a political conflict about the land. We don't mind to live together, but re- like in an equal, equal citizen, equal rights. At the moment, Israel, they are up to them. You know, the, we, we say in Arabic, the ball in their side, they can make our life easier, they can make it harder. And you toured with me and you saw, you heard all the stories about the checkpoints, about the water. Mm-hmm. How are we gonna, how are we gonna, uh, shake hands with someone who's still, eating or stealing from our from us. Can you imagine if I come to your house and start stealing and someone came, oh, shake, beast, do beast? You'll say, no, I will shake, I will shake hand when he stops stealing from me. I would, but I really need friends. So, you know, maybe. Um, we're trying, we're trying our best. We have give a lot, Palestinians, they give a lot. 50,000 murders, 50,000 Palestinians we lost because of Israel, 50,000. I'm giving you exactly That's number. terrible. It's horrible. We lost half of our country. We lost 80% of the land because of Israel. And people, they still want us to recognize Israel. But I it feel like it, sense. But it still has to fire. go both ways, doesn't it? Because no, also fun. there's been thousands of rockets and so many deaths on Israel's is, side. Yeah, Israel I, might, might have better the defenses in the U.S. to support them, right? So they knocked down a lot, of, a lot of the missiles. But there's still been lots of terrorist attacks and random stabbings. So it does go both ways. You can't no, say no, that's no, good. No, no, no. I want to tell you something. I blame the occupation because most of the stabbing things that's happened in the occupied territory 
either in Hebron or in Jerusalem. Most of the rockets because of the because of the treatment. Are you were sleeping in the bus when I was explaining about Gaza and about the situation no, and the bad condition that I they live? Listening. And I remember Ben, I told you if you live in Gaza, you will be part of the resisting movement because you are you will be fighting for your rights, freedom. Right. We, we cannot talk about the rockets until Israel the in the occupation. And I told you if Israel the in the occupation, I will be one of the Palestinians against Hamas and right. against all the resisting movements. If I see Israel they treating me as a human, right. I will def I will tell uh, my all my best friends to live next to my house right. and I will be defending them. Right. But my friend, we cannot blame and, and, and people who are living under occupation because no, they are the people they are suffering and of course as long as they are suffering they, they have a right to do anything fighting through rockets missiles of I'm course you saying, have a right to defend not, yourself I'm, but i'm not saying this is the right way but nobody is nobody's doing anything gaza's been sieged since 2006 we are talking about 11 years 11 years nobody even talk about gaza to, to end the siege so people they felt they left alone so they have to remind the world we still on the field we want to throw rockets to to make it to make israel end the siege and now hamas they are getting more stronger hamas they have tunnels hamas they get the power because they said we Israeli Israel they are lied to the whole world they don't want peace but the, the, the best way to resist armed resistance to kick out the Israel out of the country and a lot of people they are supporting Hamas because of the occupation if Israel they in the occupation and they make our life easier I told you we can live together but my friend you toured with me today and I you heard me and you today it's a Jewish holiday if it wasn't Jewish holiday you would see bulldozers and construction everywhere and dust come from the mountains mm -hmm. they're expanding yet yeah, they're working day and night to make Israel bigger on, on Palestinian land, and mm -hmm. we are paying the price. And why, 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 why the whole world, why United States of America, instead of giving more money to Israel and building more settlements, why they don't recognize us and say, "Tell us enough in the occupation, stop building settlements." If you are a Palestinian, which Obama did try to say, he tried, Obama but I told you, there has no, he has no power. It's, it's, I think it's a right wing uh, Zionist who control you. As is what we believe as, as a Palestinians, they controlling the, the the lobby and the, and uh, and the Congress. I, I believe because. 139 countries they have voted for us and you us five years ago or four years ago they used veto against us to stop all the 139 countries you know there's five countries in the world they allowed to make any decisions and yeah. us used it twice mm -hmm. if you as america just this is a clear message if united states of america recognize us as a country this conflict will end that means israel khalas is a country we have a country stop building in this country mm -hmm. but they have no interest so we are fighting against America and Israel, just to let you know. Right. The, our, our, our problem with the occupation. So it's two questions really remain that, are, that I see as the big questions. One is, of course, both sides, if somebody's being smart, both sides acknowledge that both sides have made mistakes and both sides have used wrong tactics, no, no, right? This is, I don't agree with you. Both sides, have, I don't like the word of both sides. One side suffering other the other sides. We don't have beat. They left us with fucking nothing, man. Walls and desert mm -hmm. i want to go i want to live like normal like israel you know israel they cannot drive into the west bank and i explained to you on the highways highway one highway 60. we cannot drive to for god's sake is jerusalem no not both sides there's one side no, separating. I, I hear what you're That's saying equally. no both no, sides i mean i mean after what happened both sides are using tactics that are wrong right so it's like a chicken or egg thing it's like who both sides argue that they have right to the land so i'm saying after that argument which needs to be solved i'm just saying moving forward both sides keep trying tactics that both sides shouldn't agree with like you're saying you're against the violence on your side i'm saying i'm against the 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 wall and against keep and against pushing the palestinian people further away and against against you know the overreactions to the to the rockets and killing larger numbers of palestinians both sides keep taking tactics that are wrong and are too aggressive and do not move towards peace. So the question is, how do we move past? Do, do, to possibly 
Because the people of each country, like you said, you don't have a problem with the people. How do the people of each land tell their governments enough of the violence on both sides? We won't allow it because that's the only way that we'll be able to negotiate peace. As I said, my friend, and I will say it again and again, everything related to the occupation is where they are occupying us. We are not occupying anyone else. And you know, you witness checkpoints and walls and the way the, the Israeli built the settlements. We are talking about real occupation. One side fucked up the other side. I want to use that word so you please, can maybe please. understand. There's one side fucking the other side. And, and it's hard during occupation. It's hard to negotiate. It's hard to talk about peace. Because if, if, if I want to make peace with you and you're like this on the top of me, mm-hmm. and I talk, go back to the border and you said, yeah, yeah, let's talk about peace. And, and every, every day you move until you are, mm-hmm. you are pushing me out and you're talking about peace. It doesn't make right. fucking sense. You want to talk a bit about peace? It's freeze the settlements in the occupation. It will take about, bring the third country observers, bring the UN, mm-hmm. bring 10,000 soldiers for one or two years until people, they come down. Mm-hmm. There's many solutions, but Israel again doesn't want. They want to keep built settlements and invite more Jews to come and live maybe for free and to 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 make it happen. Like Greater Israel. What's a Greater Israel? From Nile to Egypt, big state. And I told you, a lot of countries they are they have interest to support Israel because it's in the middle of the Arabs. When you talk about the Middle East, when you go back to people and tell them, oh, I had like Middle Eastern food, I was in the Middle East. Not right away they think Israel. Unless your friends right. you know that you're going. Right. Middle East. We are talking about Arab countries. There's right. 26 Arab countries. Why, why Israel, like if Israel really was, as I said, Jews have lived everywhere, especially in the Arab countries. If Israel really wants peace with everyone, they should stop killing and treating Palestinians like shit. They're treating us like fucking shit. I'm not joking. You, sh- you should come over here and live physically and I will book you up with a hotel or, or homesing and you will realize you today you saw nothing, not even 1%. Go to Hebron, go to Gaza border, go to Jenin, go to Nablus, go to many places. This is nothing. We went to like funny city, Ramallah. We saw a few Bedouins and walls. This is not really, you didn't see nothing. Mm-hmm. Today you saw like less than 1%, my friend. Go to Hebron, see the situation. Go in Hebron, walk, you will see Palestinians, they live on the first floor and settlers, they occupy their floors and they threw garbage, trash, eggs, tons of pictures on the internet. They treat people like shit. They, they, they earn on, on people. They threw eggs, stones, and they get a lot of support from the Israeli government. You want to see beasts? Do you want to see the both sides? Go to Hebron mm-hmm. and go and, and you will witness today nothing. Today you did a fun tour with me. It was a fun tour, not serious tour. Mm-hmm. Hebron, I, if you have time, go to Hebron and you will see the occupation and interview people from Hebron. They will tell you they treat us like animals. Even they treat the animals better than the Palestinians. And you tell me both sides. This is bullshit, my mm-hmm. friend. There's one side getting fucked up from the other side. This is the bottom line. One side occupying the other side and we really want them to leave. If Israel really wants peace, why are they still building settlements? Why are they are supporting the settlers? Why are they are putting checkpoints? Why are they are treating the Palestinians collective punishment? Like why? I cannot say both sides. Uh, we, I'm not. We are not going to Israel. We are not occupying anywhere. You talk about rockets. One day, if Israel they keep treating the Palestinians like this, all the Palestinians are going to explode themselves. Seriously, it's who, who's going to stop the Palestinians? Yeah. If so when you it, when you lose your hope, you have no nothing like nothing to lose. You go crazy. This and so does it give you up. no? I know you said that. Israel's trying to keep all the different Palestinian territories separate so they can't unite, right? And that's why the West Bank is separate in Gaza and the, and the, and the Arabs that are in Israel are separate from the Palestinians yeah. here. But does it give you no... Do you at least feel some hope that the Israelis do... That it's not... Like you said, it's not about religion or peoples, it's about the government. Is there some hope that the government can recognize Palestinians because there are also, what, 15 or 20 percent of... of of Arabs in the Knesset, right? In the Israeli government. So does that make you feel like at least we they do treat the them as humans? 
we had this feeling in 1994 and we had hope i told you and some of the students they were giving sweets in 1994 we thought we were going to have our independent but again the settlers they murdered this hakrabin and area sharon took over when area Sharon took over all the all the Palestinians, 100% of the Palestinians, they get disappointed because we know Ariel Sharon and we know his history. If you don't know anything about Ariel Sharon, Google him. He did a lot of massacres. He killed many Palestinians, thousands of Palestinians, and he became a prime minister. So he fucked it up. So he started the second intifada when he invaded Al-Aqsa Mosque. We didn't start an intifada. The first intifada was started in 1987 when Israel soldiers stopped Palestinian workers and he shot them. It was called Black Sunday on Sunday. He shot 14 Palestinians dead. And this is the first intifada start. We didn't start anywhere with the Israelis as a Palestinians. They came to occupy that and they did all of the massacres. They are making us angry. They are the one who uh, uh, occupying us. So two sides. I don't like the word of two sides because one side again occupying mm -hmm. the other side. Okay. If Israel they make they can make our life easier today if they want, but they have no interest. They want to keep killing more Palestinians and building more walls and building more settlements until we give up and leave. So that's why they want to call it the Greater Israel, not only Jews, not no Arabs, they don't believe in Arabs. If Arabs, they will give them options maybe after they kill most of them, if they will give them options like in 1940. If you want to stay here, you will be part of Israel. You will be Israel citizenship. That's why we call them now, and you just call them Arab Israelis, but they are originally Palestinians. Right. You have to understand, right. they are here before Israel. They didn't leave like the refugees. The refugees, they left because they were close to the massacres. The Palestinians who became Arab Israelis, they are originally fucking Palestinians. Air quotes, right. So, Let's say that that does happen and it moves towards a more peaceful thing where the world community in the U.S. that says no more settlements and says we're going to have U.N. peacekeepers observe, right? For many years, Let's say right. they do it. Let's say they do it. So the final question then is, right. the, the final question is, what do you think the solution is? People talk two-state solution all the time, both here and in Israel, but on the bus today... You said one state solution is better. One state where everybody shares the land of Palestine, land of Israel, whatever you want to call it. So what do you think the, the, the solution is and My what do friend, most people think they can get behind? Look, two states, I, I explained that also earlier in the bus, the two-state yeah, solution is dead. I wasn't taping back then. Yeah, it's dead. Two-state solution is dead with all those settlements and the highways. So that, that you saw the construction of the settlements. So the two states dead a long time ago. Seriously. Now, what I said about, let's say, let's talk about serious. If Israel is really serious and they are willing to make peace with the Palestinians, first they have to stop, freeze the settlements, stop the settlements, show that you are to do peace with the Palestinians, give us some hope, not just lying in the media, oh, we want to make peace with the Palestinians, and you are troubling the size of the settlements. Right. Treat the Palestinians like a human. This is give us hope. This will say make us, okay, we can live with the Israelis. But checkpoints, they yell at us, they, they Google, man, there's a lot of heavy documents on the internet. Kids on, the, on their way to school in Hebron, open the bus, yeah. Kids on their way, yeah. Kids on their way to school, they, they lift up their t-shirt, they make their surgeon, they humiliate people, the word of humiliate. They get the bar. Settlers in the West Bank, they all carry guns, Palestinians cannot carry guns. And people are still talking about the rockets from Gaza. For God's sake, look at how many crimes Israel they did towards but what Palestinians. Goes from in the there? Last what happens? But, but what is the solution then? Solution? One state, if all that happens. And they I, start I told you, most of the Palestinians, they don't care. One state, two states, three states. But I suggest, like, one state. Mm -hmm. I support one state, equal rights, equal citizen. That means if I have money, I want to live in Jaffa, it should, should be a problem. If in Israel wants to live in Bethlehem, right. who cares? This is what I meant by one state. Can equal it still be citizen. called the Jewish state of Israel? Or no, is that, the, a, the, is that the, a deal breaker? No, no, no. It's, it was called Palestine again. And look, as I said to people, there's many states in the United States under the umbrella of... Right, 50 uh, states. ...of America, right? right? We can be Palestinians, Israelis can be... Like even Mahmoud Abbas, he said, we were recognized in 1967. We were recognized Israel state on the 1967 border. That means they have Khalas to go back to the border. Mm -hmm. And that means two states under one state, which is, they can call it the Holy Land state. Mm -hmm. Israel and Palestine under the Holy Land state. We have to go because... Sorry, man. No, 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 no worries. 
Yes, because the bus has to leave in five minutes or less. Well, let's There's hope, a, my were, That was more than five minutes. It was. Let's hope that we can get but, there, but right? But look, look, you are, you are not honest because the way the trick, you, the, your questions were not, uh, I don't like the way you asked me. Oh, no, I'm trying to no. ask you both sides. I'm trying to ask no, you but, the other but, perspective. But I'm not trying to have an we, agreement you, you, conversation. You, you witnessed today, we live under heavy occupation. I'm agreeing. I didn't if argue. If we both that have point. equal airports, equal army, and this is the, okay, we can say both sides. We don't have fucking airports. We don't have like tanks. We don't have F-16. We don't have. I didn't say equal sides. I'm just saying it's two sides. I didn't say it's equal. Doesn't matter. We're not no, it matters. It matters because the, the, this is a big audience that's going to hear this. Ready? Yeah. I'm saying, I didn't say it was equal sides. I'm just yeah. saying I want to try to express to you the side that we heard all week before this. From you heard all side. week? You should spend one a week here. I know, to, to get I the agree, story, but I'm right? trying to right. get... Photo with the offer? Huh? Can we do photo with the offer? Sure, everybody can photo with me. I'm going to be in Zappa. You know Zappa? I don't know where it's Zappa. Tough issue. So that ended kind of tense between Yamin and I. But don't worry, we were cool after that. Hugged it out at the end of the tour. But uh, these are complex issues. So I say we hop right back now to the Israeli side. We visited the old historical town of Yafo, or Yafa as they say in Israel. And I visited this shop, this metal shop, have these little trinkets. And this young man named David, probably about 22, 23 years old, uh, was, was there. And his father came by and was polishing some things. I was looking to purchase some little... Hamza's keep the evil eye away and a cool box and this weird egg paperweight thing I got. Um, and, uh, his son, so if you hear some like banging and, and like sanding in the background, his father working on some of the things I was buying, but it just sounds not too bad. Don't worry. Um, but I talked to David and he shares some pretty extreme thought of what he thinks the solution could be involving, uh, or how to solve the Palestinian Israeli conflict. Not what you might expect. And also talks about the fallacy of Israel, of, of people thinking that the Jews don't have a historical right to be in the land. And uh, this is just about five minutes or so. Listen to this. A lot of Israelis think the solution is to, that's a nice bracelet, is to offer them packages to move elsewhere, move to Jordan, move to other countries, other places in the world, and move, ev- and move everybody, but it's... Hundreds, they, it's, they, a, it's millions of people. They aren't, it's not millions of people. It's, it's not millions, hundreds of thousands of people. One, one would help, believe me, it's uh, be okay. And we can to solve this problem. And then they, what happens to the territories? They, they become part of Israel. They aren't belonging. They know that they aren't belonging. Well, they'll argue that they were here I, I tell you what, do you know, before when, Israel was created, right? Beautiful. Man, Beautiful. You should be plated. I love it. When the, when the when the speak, when they spoke about the uh, white book, uh-huh. they uh, also spoke to give the Israel the um, east um, East Jerusalem. No, 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 it's, uh, it's Jerusalem, of course. They spoke to give Israel um, Judah and Samaria and West Bank and East Bank. Who they decided that? In the book, the white book. Was the white book? The White Book, it's one of the agreement when the British come here. Okay. There are a lot of people, Jewish people that help to the British um, to, to win the Ottomans in this uh, area, uh, in this area. And they promised to the Jewish people in the White Book to give the East Bank and also the West Bank to the Jewish people. When was that? 1920. 
1920. That was the yeah, British mandate. Exactly. They decided to the, give it to the Jewish World people. One, World War One finished in 1980, uh -huh. and 1920 they give promise. They gave they gave promise to the Jewish people to give the East Bank and the West Bank. So we are. Um, we compromised. And, okay. We compromised about the East Bank. Okay. Right. You gave them the East Bank. So the East Bank is what's now Jordan, right? Now it's Jordan, exactly. Right. And so you already gave them the East Bank. From from right. the right. From they already the, got that. Yeah, from the Kinneret. So just move on Jordan the, River until Iraq. Right. So just move to the other and side also of the river. Of what's Syria. the difference? Be believe People me. care too much about geography. I think that Israel, when the United Nations decided it needed to be here, it didn't need to be here. It's just arbitrary geography. It could have been in Africa or in, or in exactly, South America, but, but now that it's here, what? they can move. I agree. Somebody has to move. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you live in a bad neighborhood that you don't like your neighbors. Right. So you got to move. You're right, but we have um, we belong to this area. Okay, the Jewish people belong to this it's area. It's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Yes, exactly. And to Herzl, uh, suggested um, Uganda. Right, Theodore yeah. Herzl, the founder of yes, and the concept of Israel. No, nobody wants us. So, believe me, we have a one country. We want to live in peace. We want to yeah. live together, and and it's an important democracy in the Middle East. I, I give you, I give you another. They don't randomly stab people. It's true. It's the occupation sucks, but I it's give, because they had no choice. They were invaded. Yeah, exactly. Israel was invaded. But I give you another um, proof that. Um, most of the people in Israel think the Palestinian people want to kill us, and as they, uh, as they say before, to throw out, to throw the Israeli people to the sea. Right. Okay. I give another. Some of us are very heavy. It's hard to do that. It's <laughs> hard to do that, but you mean the, you understand the, what they mean? Yeah. For so, to kill. Yeah. Exactly. I am. And um. I think to the most of the Israeli. People, they not uh, feel um, belong to to Judah and Samaria and for those all this area. But they know when they give to the Palestinian people this area, there is catastrophe. They'll, they'll just kill everybody. Yeah. So they have that, the vantage point. That's why. That's why one of the reason the the Yamin in Israel, Yamin wings. You know the Yamin and small wings. The right wings. Uh huh. The right wing. Yes, we say Yamin in okay. Israel. The the right, right wing. wings, like Donald Trump, right. the Republican peop, um, party. Right wing is the best wing. Yes, the right one wing the, one party. One of the top two wings. One, one, in the twenty years, um, in the left twenty years, the right wing uh, wing um, win the election every time. Mm -hmm. That's why. Because they. But that's why Benjamin Netanyahu right. controlling his life. He's a hardliner. Yeah, nine Why years. do they keep winning? Because we're afraid that people are afraid that they're going to give away the land yes. and, and get ourselves killed. The, the, reason, get, the reason that I mentioned before. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. That was eye opening. Thank you, ben. You're an awesome guy in a great shop. Thank you. Thank you. I haven't thank paid full much. price for anything here, so that's an it's a tribute to your you guys' quality. To come, you invite to come again to see what you want. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful shop. And so, you know, well-spoken kid, but I mean, really believed that the solution would be to pay Palestinians to leave, which I bring up later to my cousin Gilly, who thinks that's pretty unrealistic and explains why. Um, but I think something's got to give to quote, uh, the, the actress in that movie.
whose name I'm blanking on right now. Something's got to give. You know what I'm talking about? Stella got her groove back. Actress, isn't it the same act- actor in both? No. I might be wrong about that. Something's got to give might be a Diane Keaton movie, and Angela Bassett might be Stella's got her groove back. But I thought Angela Bassett was in both. I do sometimes confuse Angela Bassett and Diane Keaton for no reason at all, because they're quite different. But uh both good actresses seem like nice ladies. I prefer Angela Bassett's fashion more than Diane Keaton's tie and ties and vests. But, you know, to each their own. To each their own. We then went right into Jerusalem, right into the old city, the biblical city of Jerusalem. And we went into an Armenian restaurant. And before we ate, we saw, we listened to an amazing talk. Very interesting talk from this renowned author named Yossi Klein Halevi at Y Klein H A L E V I on Twitter. And he's the author of a book called Like Dreamers, which is so apropos to this moment because it's about, it's told through the lens of these seven paratroopers, Israeli paratroopers during the 1967 Six Day War as they took over East Jerusalem and reclaimed it for Israel and reunited Jerusalem under Jewish control, which now is being officially recognized for the first time so much later, so, you know, half a century later, being recognized by, almost half a century later, by America. And it was re- recognized by Russia recently as well. So it's not like America's the only one. We're doing a lot of stuff in concert with Russia these days. If you haven't noticed, you know what I'm saying? They're great. We don't know. What's wrong with Russia? They're good people. They drink vodka. Got great urine-filled hookers. You get it. That was graphic, and I didn't need to say it that way, but I did. So I'm going to play you just about four minutes, four or five minutes of his talk without me even chiming in. Uh, the audio is a little low here, but I'm sure Declan's going to do his best to boost it. Um, and then about four or five minutes in, it gets better when I ask him a question directly to clarify something that he spoke about. Um but please listen, he touches on the existential threats facing Israel as a nation, as an experiment. And um the opposite of the young boy David, a young boy, 23-year-old or so guy, that thought the Palestinians should leave. A lot of Palestinians think the Israelis should leave. And you'll see Klein Halevi responds with what the problem with that thought is as well. So take a listen to this. In America, as deep as the debates go, nobody seriously believes that America is in existential danger. The quality of America is in danger. Uh, the, 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 I would say the civility, the decency of America is in danger. But America's existence, at least in the short term, <laughs> is not in, in, real, in, real, in real danger. In Israel, left and right both believe that if the other camp prevails, Israel may not be able to survive. For the left, it's very straightforward. If we, if we end up, if the occupation continues another generation, Israel will either stop being a Jewish majority state or stop being a democratic state. We will not be able to be both. And this very complicated tension that we hold between the different parts of our identity 
to my mind, the two essential components of Israeli identity is that we are a Jewish majority state and a democratic state that, at least in principle, is committed to accommodating non-Jewish citizens as equal citizens. According to Israel's Declaration of Independence, this will be a Jewish majority state that grants full equality to its minorities. How that plays out in practice is a complicated question, but in principle, that is our self-definition. That's our aspiration. And if, this, if the occupation continues another generation, that aspiration will be gone. And so for the left, that is an existential threat. And from my point of view, it, it absolutely is an existential The right argues, no less compellingly to an Israeli sensibility, that if we withdraw to, board, to the pre-1967 borders, where Israel was nine miles wide at its narrowest point, where the Middle East all around us is disintegrated, and you create a Palestinian state tomorrow, what will that Palestinian state resemble? Will it be Syria? Will it be Iraq? Will it be Libya? The, the, the odds are not good. A, a Palestinian state would be, first of all, deeply divided between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, Fatah. And my fear is, in fact, I would say my strong sense is that Hamas would probably take over a Palestinian state very quickly. So the right argues that if we withdraw to nine mile wide borders in this region, we will not be able to defend ourselves in the long term. Israel will not be able to physically protect itself. I would like to see the international community continue to criticize settlements, and at the same time, criticize the Palestinian leadership for not allowing a conversation in their society about who the Jews are. are. Are the Jews a people? Why did the Jews come back here? What's their story? If you read the Palestinian media, in all of its factions, from Hamas to the Palestinian Authority, media of Mahmoud Abbas, you will see a one story that's being told, which is the Jews are a, are a fake people with no history in this land. They've invented their history. And they are thieves. And they are not an indigenous people. They're a continuous And when I speak to Palestinians, and they say, you know, uh, you should go back, you go back to America, and you should go back to Poland, and you should go back to Russia. I say, okay, you've mentioned America, Poland, and Russia. But a majority of Israelis come from Morocco and Yemen and Iraq and Lebanon. And where are they going to go back to? And they were, they were dispossessed from the Middle East. They moved from one part of the Middle East to another part. Israel today, and I said this before, Israel today, and I think this is one of Israel's biggest failures in presenting its story, Israel is not a Western country. It is, a, it is a very uneasy meeting point between West and East. But we are today an increasingly an Eastern country. And so it is accepting the indigenousness of the Jewish people in this land. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, is the key to creating, to creating peace. Oh, one last, one last.
when you talk to the Palestinians, right, and you said that, you said, but the majority of Israelis don't come from Russia and Germany, they come from Yemen and these places. What's their response? It doesn't compute. What it do you mean? The conversation ends there? It doesn't compute. It, 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 it's, it's like, it's like, it's so out of the box that, oh, you know, <laughs> There's no, there's no cut, there's no retort. Or, or, or people will say, well, they can come back and live under, under Islam. You know, that's, you know, that's you'll hear that. That's a very nice invitation. So, so, much, you know. My God. So, yeah. But, like, that's why I never understand is, like, the answer has to be in the middle, right? It is centrist because the only possible solution is one that just everybody agrees on. You have to get everybody on board to some reality. Yes. But why is, so, so why... Does society and do these warring societies and disagreeing societies just never realize you have to at some point make a concession, whether your Bible says it or your non-Bible says it, at some point to not die, you just have to say, it's not how I want it, but we'll do it anyway. Those are our alternatives, to die or not to die. And they'd rather die. We, We keep choosing die, both sides, forever. Well, let's see what happens next. He was a very interesting, well educated, well spoken guy. I thought if you want to learn more, about specifically the issue of Israel and reuniting Jerusalem and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, check out his book, Like Dreamers. Um, and then I just walked right outside of that Armenian restaurant after we ate food there, right into this old quarter in, in Jerusalem, heard some authentic music playing, and um, a funny sight I saw, you listen to this audio and some thoughts I had back in the moment that I think are still apropos, and then I'll be right back in this recording style. Well, we just finished that incredible talk. I literally just walked out of this Armenian restaurant in Jerusalem in the old city, hearing the author talk about his amazing perspective of the Middle East. We walk out into these stone courtyards, or or rather a narrow hallway, narrow outdoor pathways into this courtyard. Uh, Middle Eastern music playing in the background as it passes. And then three guys on segways, no joke, I'll try and take a picture right now in the midst of it showing the blend of modernity with the way things used to be. That is truly incredible. And it's the ultimate struggle, right? So I feel like that's got to be some part of the answer in the end of the day is hold on to whatever tradition you want, but also realize you have to live in the real world and time does keep moving as well. So just find a common sense middle ground. You have to find the balance. That's what I'd take from it at least. I had performed some stand-up in Israel three years ago, and I had a couple friends that are Israeli comedians, and they invited me to perform. The biggest comedian in Israel actually invited me to perform on a, on a TV taping that was going on at a bar in uh, Israel called the Chelsea Bar, a very cool bar, and I was the only comedian, well, a lot of the comedians, I think all of them that night actually were performing mostly in Eng- English, but I was the only one that was American performing on this taping, and I did some material for them, including some stuff I had thought about during this trip, and it's my thoughts on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and whether peace is possible according to Israelis, 
um, or Palestinians, um, just through the lens of an outsider and my thoughts over the week there. So here's a couple minutes of me doing stand-up in Israel in Tel Aviv. It's very confusing. Everybody here in Israel likes Trump. Everybody here likes Trump. I mean, granted, you do not have a good track record choosing your leader, so I get it. I think half of them are in jail at this point, but... You guys like Trump because you're very self-aware people. You're really, you're, a lot of people said to me, Trump is okay, uh, we are crazy here. So maybe he's good. Maybe you talk to people about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Everybody in Israel, very conflicted. Within the same person, very conflicted. Everybody says, I want a two-state solution. And you say, do you think it's possible? No, not, not possible. We can't do it. But we'd like it. We want it. We believe it should be. How? I have no idea. We can't do it. There's no way to actually do it. But you want it. I do want it very much. But how? They're saying we can't be done. 100% we need it. Can't have it. Do want it. Will not happen. Will it happen? Maybe, but not really. You want it as much as someone says, like, I wish I could eat cake and never gain weight. Cake all day and never gain weight. Can you do it? No, it's physically impossible, but I would like it in theory. So that was a little bit of stand-up for you. Uh, special thanks to Yohai Sponder for producing that show and putting me on it. And the biggest comic in Israel currently that I mentioned, that is Shahar Hassan. Very funny, man. Check out his clips on YouTube. You can actually see video of my stand-up there as well on YouTube. Uh, just look, at, maybe search Chelsea, Glebe, Israel, something like that. I don't know. I'm probably bring up some weird, embarrassing Chelsea Handler stuff from back in the day of of us acting inappropriate on the round table or in life who knows uh but feel free to check it out if you so desire then as i was walking through jerusalem just buying trinkets and then walking falling behind the group rick sorkin one of our facilitators on the reality israel trip who's a great musician uh great solo musician really great guy and also um he has a band called uh last love at last love on instagram at rick sorkin on instagram and twitter uh, we talked as we were walking about his song First Am Among the Ruins and just more generally talked about why humans seem so damn drawn to conflict. Why are we so drawn to drama? Me and Rick talking for about eight minutes or so on that very pertinent topic. First Among the Ruins is one of your songs. Yeah, the band's uh, Last Love. And, uh, you know, it's a song, it's a, a parallel around the... Uh, you know, an apocalyptic sort of thing, and I do a lot of writing that parallels end times, catastrophic aspects that that the corollary is to sort of the hypocrisy in in love, and so a partner partners warring versus the world warring as they relate to each other, and us warring with ourselves, and sort of when the shit hits the fan, whose whose hand you're gonna hold on to and run? That's amazing. What's the song called? The song is called First Among the Ruins." Wow! So everybody's trying to get dibs. Yeah, on, on like shitty situations. Yeah, and a little, let's, let's, <laughs> let's like pick something at random. We're like, uh, come with me, I got this. Sort of like when, when it hits the fan, I know that uh, emerging, at least, you know. Oh, so it's getting out first. I mean, poetically, not necessarily Thank you. first, just safe and sound. Right. You know, stick with me, I got you kind of thing. Okay, so it's post-apocalyptic. It, it, exactly, post-apocalyptic. It, it's getting past the madness. Correct. It's already, it's already upon us. Uh, ground it shakes, earth it quakes. We were first among the ruins. Wow. That's amazing. Because you have to, because you have to keep on living. That's right. 
That's right. But why do we insist on the conflict? Because why is that parallel so ingrained in humanity that in our politics, in our lives, in our love lives, in our public lives, we keep being unable to avoid clash and conflict? I think, as you said, the clash yeah, is one of your influences. Uh, exactly, and I think humans are, are inherently compl- complex and complicated, and just uh, stubborn. There's a, there's a push, stubborn is the word. push and pull, and different people have different needs and wants, and different matches, whether it's romantic or internationally. And just like we learned, you know, a moment ago, like uh, a fra- phraseology in one country versus another will relate or not relate. And there's no one answer, but, uh, you know, why do people break up? I could talk for hours on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't we all? But probably, don't you think, a big part of it is that we just ultimately don't really know what we want as humanity? Uh, because actually, that's why I, we can't get no, one vision that we're I, moving towards well, I together. Think, I think a sensible plan we can't agree on, but I think we all want the same things. Schusterman's got to move on. Yeah, Sense of a plan. Uh, you know, in terms of what we want, it's well, actually... But we don't all want the same thing. No, we a lot do. Of us we want, want... We want to be heard. We want to be right. respected. We want to right. have our family safe and sound. We want to provide. We want to build. We want to create art. We want to make love. But we want to go about it completely opposite ways. Because God forbid someone tells us how to do it. What do you know? <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> right? I bought this exact thing, but in miniature the other day. I need a picture of that real quick. That's insane. If we were having a race, we'd be dead last. Yes. <laughs> Are you talking about you and me or the, the, or the Jewish this people? Or the room just now. Yes. <laughs> Pulling up the rear. Um, that's my main move. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, but why? But God forbid. It's it's not even like an unintentional turn of phrase. Maybe it was, but like that seems to me is the problem. Is like. If we're all supposed to be following God's plan, but God's plan most certainly of all of the individual philosophies wouldn't be to stymie us forever and for us to not be able to figure it out. So his plan definitely would be not us arguing over which version of the story that's the actual true story is. So why does the semantics of each individual story always win out over the broader message of the main point is only we're all one people. We're supposed to be on the same page as people. We naturally form circles, not lines. But unfortunately, Why? So, so, well, that's a good thing to form circles. Let's we want reinvent to be the wheel and flatten well, it out. But probably we want to form circles, look at each other, to hold hands, to do it together versus lines in the sand. But the problem is a circle gets either too large, whether it's by uh, regions or cultural, cultural divides or ideological divides, and we, we split off. And then actually, I mean, we're talking really broadly here, right? But there's a... <laughs> but I think that's my point. What you exactly said is what we should be doing. If we were making a circle, we would look into everybody's eyes and we'd realize we're all just people, but we keep drawing lines and looking straight ahead and not realizing we have our neighbors that are humans just like us to the left and right. I, and I, that that's the overarching narrative. That's the one thing I never keep understanding is like all these things, my question always keeps remaining, but why do we care about our own individual story? Talking of storytelling is what this trip's about, right? Why is our own individual story more important than the human or the global story? I think, like humans, even he, I think humans are naturally inherently good and, and good-willed and good-natured, but also inher- inherently selfish. Right. And they're taught to hate. Right. And they're taught, that, to, that's hate, the problem. And they're taught to hate based off of their people they're being taught by, usually right. by parents. Around right. That they don't it's a bunch of old them. thinking. So okay. you have to realize that modernity has to win in the end and just be respectful to the traditionalists, but realize that the world must evolve to ever find peace. Try convincing a dinosaur they're a dinosaur, though. <laughs> they're like, nah, I'm hip, I'm young. Nah, you're old, you dinosaur. Right.
So it's one of the, so you know, pursuant to being in Jerusalem, we exodus exodus of you know we left to travel for forty years. Right. That's not a coincidence. It's enough time for a new generation, a second generation, to come back and not have some of the old stalwarts that would have left. Right. So hopefully, if if a Mitty's peace process finally is ever made, even if it's a tenuous one at first, if it can hold for enough time, 20 years, 25 years, people start to forget the old hate, or you, and then you young, bring a new generation of people that think are the same. Young, educated leaders, and the education is the important part of that phrase. I and think. who are educated better. And that's actually one of the other things that, if, or, if we can be hopeful about, like, Trump, at least for Middle East things like this, like, like, like he was, it's about messaging. You know, we were talking earlier, the thing I brought up the other night about how it's so hard when you have a more complex message to say it simply and to get the branding down to one very simple sentence. That is what we exactly have to do, right? We have to figure out how to use the dumbing down of maybe at least Trump's one brilliance of like getting it down to simple slogans. I don't, Just attribute, brash. I, don't, I don't attribute that to brilliance. I attribute that to manipulation and action. Agree, but you said that's your specialty. You said, I'm great at branding. I do digital branding. My point is, it's all branding these days. I didn't say I was great at it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like during his talk, message. during his talk, the one question that always comes up for me is like he said, I want, my whole life, I want to know what Judaism is, what the real Jewish story is. And there is no one who drilled you a story. There's 12 within it, a million within it. But if that's true, then why are we holding so tightly onto a thing that there isn't even one story of? That, there we go, the ideology and the factioning and the people that are, you know, conservative or uh, not conservative or, or are extreme about it. Right. Uh, extreme. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Extreme is never uh, good in any, right. in any situation. Oh. Unless it's uh, ESPN. <laughs> because we just keep holding so tightly onto old narratives. Sorry, I'm recording and taking all these photos that I'm going to publish with the podcast it's at the same a time. Lot of, uh, a lot of stimuli. It's unbelievable. But I would like to continue this chat. Yeah. But we just need to like... Not we need to like learn new stories. Fucking nicer to each other. Nicer to each other is the end of the thing. Kindness and gentleness. Just remind, remember, we're all people first. Look into each other's eyes. Humans, humans. How do you follow you on Twitter? Uh, Rick Sorkin, uh, or uh, the band is Last Love on Instagram at Last Love. Love that at Last Love. Hopefully, we'll finally get our last love, which will be a love for humanity and not these individual and small little loves that never last. There you go. That is at Rick Sorkin on Twitter and Instagram, everybody. And um, we are down to the last two segments here in this marathon podcast on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But you're going to leave this podcast knowing all about it and hearing both sides and hearing it much more in depth than you'll ever hear in quick sound bites on CNN or on even reading a couple articles on TV. You really hopefully will feel like you've lived a little bit of it and really been there and and heard people's perspectives firsthand so hopefully this is worth your time i believe it is um and this part is one of the best parts about a 30-minute conversation with my very brilliant cousin Geely brenner lives in israel was born there went to college at cambridge for a master's i believe at cambridge in england um very intelligent she then worked with this group to help find work for palestinian people, young Palestinian people, Palestinian youth, and he, she currently um, works in the Israeli parliament, and um, she had some very interesting perspectives she wanted to share about anti-Semitism she witnessed when she was in London, or in, or in England, and then just her current thoughts about the realistic problems with 
the current issue, possible ways it could be solved, but problems with some of the things we've heard mentioned as solutions throughout this podcast, why the world seems to be so anti-Israel, something we discussed, and she brings up the concepts, very interesting concepts of intersectionality and asymmetrical war. You can follow or befriend my cousin on Facebook at Gilly Brenner. And uh, take a listen. This is us in a cab or an Uber. I'm not sure which it was. Uber does work there crazily in Israel. Um, I think it might have even been an Israeli company. I'm not sure if that's true. Wait, no, it's not. But Waze was an Israeli company. Started in Israel. Um, anyway, um, she decided to join me in a cab on the way to the airport as I was leaving Israel after 10 days there. Uh, seven with the tour and then three, four days extra on my own, including the one day in the Palestinian territories. But... Gilly and I in the car talking about it all. Take a listen. So I'm now once again in Israel in the taxi cab on the way to the airport like I was three years ago, heading back from a trip here when my uncle Shmuel Brenner was my guest. You can go back and listen to that episode called Gleeb's Israeli Uncle. He was the high minister in the Israeli government working with the environment and in the Oslo Accords. He successfully negotiated with the Palestinians a agreement for environmental cooperation and is one of the, you know, few truly successful parts of that. And I am now in the car with his daughter, my cousin, Gili Brenner, who is not even driving me to the airport, but because I'm a man child who does not, is not able to handle his own she offered to come to my Airbnb and then join me in the cab. No, you're quite a man. You're quite a man, Ben. It's <laughs> fine. That's very sweet Don't of you to, to placate me with, with those words. Um, so, Gili is quite incredible in her own right. She is very lovely, very intelligent. She went to Cambridge back in the day in London. She um, was... Well, why don't you tell people what it is that you did with the Palestinian outreach as well? Wow. Um, so thank you uh, for having me and finding me interesting enough to be interviewed. <laughs> um, yes, so I'm Israeli and indeed I went to Cambridge University. That was almost 10 years ago. Uh, just a minor correction, Cambridge is in Cambridge, not in London, but it is near London. Oh, it's near. Okay, good. Um, uh, so you have the triangle. I'm not even smart enough to know where Cambridge is. It's fine. There's also Cambridge in the United States, so, you That's know. in Massachusetts? Correct. So, um, yes. you, yeah, well done. Thank well you. done. Thank you. Um, so, anyway, I, I went for my master's there because, as you know, for Israelis, it's quite common to, to we always feel that we're stuck and we have this uh, often uh, love and hate relationship with Israel and we love to, to explore and travel a lot. So, you know, I, I did that and I studied in Europe for a few years and then I went on for a master's at Cambridge University and, um, you know, uh, things got really political. Um, it was 2008 and uh, the winter and um, uh, I realized that there, was, there were only two things that got people out on the streets. That was free alcohol and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. <laughs> In that order, probably. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was quite alarming for me to realize how... I mean, not even the, the, the views that were... To, in, in my view, uh, misinformed, but just the fact that people were obsessed with it. I mean, we're talking about uh, 2008. There have been 
um, uh, years of dictatorships in the Middle East and no one cared you know no one was talking about Assad no one was talking about you know what we're all you know familiar Assad with today Syria, right? yeah but these things have been happening for, for, for decades and no one was talking about it if you talk about the if you take the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in context and um, you actually look at the world it's quite tiny in terms of territory and the number of people involved at the end of the day but it is discussed like no other thing and I think it is convenient for a lot of parties around the world not only the Palestinians and Israelis to keep it this way so um, I was quite shocked to discover that it was all over the place and in that winter I faced a lot of um, anti-Israel demonstrations and activities and that actually brought me to action and um, uh, you can call it Israel advocacy or you said um, people spit on you a friend of yours had their cheek bit yeah that was later I mean so basically um, I'm talking about cast-led operation that's an operation that Israel had in Gaza and then things started to escalate what year uh, was that uh, that was uh, December 2008 okay uh, the operation lasted a couple of weeks so we're talking about January 2009 and um, things got really out of hand especially in London I mean you had some windows smashed and then synagogues and then um, stuff like and so that. And so what was the basis of that? Why were people angry at Israelis? Just be well, I mean, because it, of the overreaction of the of responding to the so, attacks from Gaza. So that's what we're getting to. To you know, the the you you hitting the nail on the head here because um, actually people are demonstrating, and it's really easy to get people. I, I call you know, it's called intersectionality. A lot of different people from different sections who believe that they are disadvantaged today, be it because of race or gender or politics and you name it but for some reason they think that they have something in common so if you're disadvantaged and I feel disadvantaged then we can all you know protest together against the so-called system and the system Israel, keep us down. Israel and America or some kind of and, I'm, and I, I would like to ask what is the system am I the system so so I saw a bunch of people can I ask from, them to turn the air up a little bit because it's so hot in here Yes. Thank you. And Sorry to interrupt. But a human's got needs. What? Toda. Ah, okay. Um, Sorry. So. Toda Raba. People came up with different. You just ask what they were protesting about, and and often you found um, a lot of misinformation, a lot of people who said things that are just not true. Uh, people from with different agendas to say uh, you had um, LGBT groups and and environmental groups, and some Palestinian groups and some others all together. Um, demonstrating against Israeli apartheid, Israeli, uh, you name it, occupation. Why LGBT groups? I thought Israel was pretty progressive when it comes to that. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Don't confuse people with facts. Come on. <laughs> it's just easy, you know, because as I said, there are different, there's intersectionality going on. And I mean, I think the, when I talk about being pro-Palestinian, um, people need to realize that these 
actions often don't serve the Palestinians. And But this has been hijacked by the leaders and people who portray themselves as leaders. And they have been of so... The of the Palestinian people. And they're very conflicted. I mean, in the in that specific section itself, they're very conflicted with different factions and people want to take power. And, um, and they use that. Um, and in Europe, I think they've made a tremendous... Uh, they made an, a huge effort and they, they've been extremely successful at actually getting all these parties together, LGBT against and Israel. Against Israel. So look. Um, Why? So what's at the core of it? Is, is it anti-Semitism? Because it seems to me like, like I remember I was pretty stunned back then in 2008 when that happened, when there was just so many rocket attacks happening and there were stabbings happening and. And Israel did react very strongly because they're not going to go and you know go yeah. and stab people back. So they use their their military to respond Look, because it's a densely populated area yeah. in the Palestinian territories. There are always Correct. more casualties, but all of a sudden the world opinion seemed to be like Israel's being barbarians. And I don't understand how they didn't realize any country on earth. If you if people launch missiles into America by the hundreds. Right. We right. would annihilate that Now think, think 2009. 2009 is very different from today. I think today Western countries are sorry, start, starting to face what Israel has been facing for many years. And uh, um, asymmetrical war, uh, fighting terror. you saying terror, now we are, right? Right, now. In the so, world, all these random terror attacks, right? Exactly. So um, Israel reluctantly uh, uh, has become an expert in dealing with these situations and quite successfully. Obviously it's never perfect and, and, and people are people they often overreact and you have some uh, um, people who misbehave and uh, I, I would like to believe that they are trialed and brought before um, you know a court uh, well I guess from that perspective though isn't it you know yes there are a lot of terror attacks happening now around the world but like what just happened sadly in Manchester a few days ago the British government didn't go and attack any any area because of that so is that maybe part of why is that israel just reflexively and granted it is people from the palestinian territories that are doing that are doing those attacks or were doing those attacks but you know what i'm saying to some degree and i know the u.s is trying to take as is the world trying to take out isis and they're responsible for all these attacks so i guess it's pretty analogous in that way but i guess is it just easier to hate on israel because there are specific land territory, and it's a very small territory, so it looks as though Israel's attacking an oppressed people instead of a terror group. I think it's it's as you say, it's very convenient, uh, and um, also, look, you you see all these, uh, you have different excuses, and Israel is a very uh, easy scapegoat. Um, but I don't think, you know, what, what ha just happened in Manchester has clearly nothing to do with Israel. Uh, men, the men, people of Manchester are not occupying anybody, uh, not that we know of, uh, right. <laughs> at least. So that's part of so, what it is, too. But it's, again, it's very convenient. The because, world community is already angry at Israel as for as the as occupation. As, correct. As long as you, um, uh, the spotlight is Israel, then uh, dictators can, can rule as much as they like, and, and uh, you know, that, that distracts people people from the the actual problem i remember of countries that are doing far worse exactly think about 
Mubarak's Egypt. Yes, it was not. I think about it daily. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, but think about you know millions of people living in Egypt and and uh, so they, they you know arguably suffered even though it was not an Islamic regime then under uh, Mubarak um, um, arguably it was a dictatorship and. Um, but I remember working with a, a scholar from Egypt and he said, you know, we grew up in Egypt in just unbelievable poverty. And the only thing that we ever thought about was the, trying to help our Palestinian brothers. And, and years later, when he already, you know, when he lived in, in the UK, he said, wait, wait a minute. Why weren't we thinking about our own government? And, you know, obviously it was convenient for the government because you need to help the cause and it's all about Israel and it's all... What did we have to do with it, you know? Right, so. for, for some reason, for some reason the world loves to distract itself with this one conflict and not notice their own Correct, so what flaws. I'm saying, you know what? You want to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Do it. Do it. It's your right to do it. But do it in a fair way so you consider other conflicts around the world and look at the bigger context and then right. and then and, 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 and sadly the UN is not acting in such a way it's despicable what's going on at the UN um, because <laughs> you have uh, the Human Rights Council and and all these anti-Israel um, decisions that are made um, completely disregarding um, other conflicts and human rights violations, gross violations by um, countries like China, Russia, uh, and, and, and other um, countries. So um, what I'm, yeah, and this is just the beginning of the story and hopefully we'll have a chance to chat again because well, we're- Well, China and Russia are two of the, are, are two of the permanent members of the Security Council. No one's gonna be condemning them. Yeah, and- um, Those are big guys. You so, can't condemn big guys. You gotta pick on little guys. Um, yes, and you've got um, um, people from Libya and As and from Syria elected to, to uh, human rights positions, and they're gonna, uh, you know, um, decide on human rights issues. And that's just, it's it's almost, you know, funny. But uh, but now that we're pulling up to the airport, I just realized that was incredibly fast. Um, let's see if in the next three to four minutes we can solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So. What do you think is the MOOCs? You've done work, you know, trying to employ Palestinian yeah. people. And of course, I, I'm always impressed that Israel, while yes, they are occupying these territories and it's not a great situation, they all, they are also yeah, very I, I wish, I wish it kind to, to Palestinians. I wish and Palestinians are part that... of the Knesset, part of the, the parliament. Yeah. And, at least the ones that are citizens here in Israel, not in the territories. I wish people realized that being pro-Israel doesn't mean uh, that you are anti-Palestinian. Uh, not in the least. I've been working uh, a lot with Palestinians on environmental issues and, and, and other issues too. And I think we know what the solution is. It's a two-state solution. Unfortunately, it didn't materialize yet. And uh, I'm not blaming only one side. Um, Sadly, it doesn't look like it's near, and I don't know if if the if, if there is a solution. As, as you know, I, I wish, you know, I've heard some some talk that Netanyahu is is talking to Abbas and then oh, supposed to talk is supposed to talk to Abbas soon. I I really I I think in Israel we, we are in uh, a bit hopeless at the moment. 
Yeah, it really does seem a lot more hopeless than it's ever been when I've been here or talked to Israeli people. Yeah. Everybody still says, I made a joke on stage the other night, that every Israeli says they fervently believe in a two-state solution. And I say, when will it happen? Oh, it can't happen. Look, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I believe you know, in it. The thing is, people kind of say, a Santa this Claus is situation. the last window. There's a window of opportunities and it's closing soon. And he, you know what? It's not. People have been saying that for a long time and we've just had some type of conflict management and you know maybe it's possible to live with some kind of conflict manage manage the conflict for for dozens and even hundreds of years you know now we're seeing the the the, the state structure I'm on United, uh, uh, pardon I'm on, uh, United Airlines oh yeah who does pay United uh, it's terminal 3 it's fine okay. um and the whole state structure around the world is is is, uh, is collapsing, arguably. So people might say, "Well, let's wait and see. You know, maybe things will change. We we don't know." Well, a lot of yet. Israelis have have hope in Trump. I've heard a lot of people this last two weeks say, "Look, the the the, the far left politicians in the U.S., the far right, they've all failed. Trump is this weird outlier. He's good at making deals. Maybe he'll come in there and just literally yeah broker a deal in some Look, weird, I unconventional think, way." I think. Peace can only take place if once. Donald Trump does it. <laughs> if um, there is some kind of uh, um, I make base. the best peace. I make amazing peace. So you know, maybe if there's some know. base of what he has managed to surprise us all already. <laughs> many with, times, uh, that's true. I don't know. It's been since what? What is it? Five? How many months? Five long, dreary, dark months. <laughs> So unfortunately, I have n I don't have amazing news for you. I don't have any groundbreaking idea about peace. Well, let me ask moment. you this question. Yes. I've heard a lot of people this week also. Some say that the Palestinian man I interviewed, our tour guide, said he thinks the one-state solution is the answer. He thinks that two-state is dead. The movement's gone for that. There has to be one state that integrates the Palestinian people and lets them maybe take back, you know, some degree of their territory. Gives them like a nicer community, maybe on the beach instead of having these like terrible desert areas that are pushed into the corners um and then i've heard on the flip side the uh shop owner said the shop owner and his son or, or his son rather in yafo said that he thinks the, the move is to offer financial packages for the palestinians to move and and to maybe move back to the countries of their heritage unfortunately that doesn't work great because many of them their heritage is here right but, i think both ideas are, are um not great to say the least I don't think people are gonna be uprooted and, and move for money and, and I don't think a one-state solution is a good one if, if we were to have an, uh, the state of Israel so we need to separate I think we're two different entities and uh, but who you knows mean the, the, the state of Israel would lose exactly what it is which is the one Jewish state and the one Jewish correct, state haven correct. in the world but, but the state if you of integrated Affairs all the, the Palestinians moment, it would be more like it would be even beyond 50% Palestinians and then the whole state of Israel experiment is, is done in that correct, respect. Correct, but the state of affairs as it is today sadly shows that it's pointing towards this direction of a one state and uh, and I am blaming uh, both sides on this and including uh, the Israeli side for it's, not taking... It's pushing towards one state? Yes. But in what way? What, which one state? It How? would essentially be uh, a chaotic state, but uh, with first integrating the Palestinians. State. So it is what the tour guide is is well suggesting. <laughs> this is what he's hoping for, but in essence, it's going to be first uh, uh, either an apartheid state or indeed an apartheid, as they claim, uh, with the Jews who are you know Jewish minority that. Uh, 
uh, leads uh, or controls Palestinians or uh, one that has an Arab majority that, uh, you know, and basically that is an, another Arab state. Meaning, uh, so you, 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 we just don't know, but uh, n none of these solutions is a, you know, is a desirable one. And uh, you don't think there's me, any way for the Palestine for it to be one state and for it to be like the analogy he used of just 50 states in the U.S. within one country, have one country and have Palestinian states within it and Israeli states, but have it just ruled in some much more human way? Well, as always, uh, it really depends whom you ask. If you ask me, I would say no, because I, I would like to see Israel as a democracy, as a Western uh, society, and uh, um, it, um, it's really important for me, and I think I speak for many others when I say it, and I think it's in when America, when you know, you, you have a confederation of states, you share uh, values uh, of democracy and human rights, and uh, I don't think this is possible here in the Middle East uh, to create the same structure when we have such different um, 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 lifestyles. This is for you, my friend. I can only hope that with time and education, uh, people will. Uh, Towards Let's finish talking out. Are you taking this can, cab? Can you edit this? Yeah, I can. Uh, or people like hearing some like natural life. Oh, okay. Are you taking this cab back? Or are you taking the train back? What no, are you doing? I'll take the train. Okay, so let's step out and just wrap up the conversation. Okay, about the cab. Okay, grab this. Boom, you can get my neck pillow for me, Gilster. I want to make sure I have all of my backpacks. I got one, two, three. My jacket on top of the car, yes, my pea coat that's ridiculously warm for desert. Um, so you're saying you just hope over time that it tilts. And so you're saying if... So you think things are leaning towards a one-state solution? You think there's actually things moving in a... What? I think I have everything, yes. You have a receipt? I don't need it, it's okay. Take care. Um, they're leaning towards a one-state solution in what way? Are, is that actually going to happen, you think? Like, are, are there steps being made towards just annexing the occupied territories, making them officially part of Israel, and then saying that's just the deal, you guys blew your chance for peace, so let's try to live peaceably within Israel's laws? Or is that I just mean, uh, as far uh, off just, as a two-state I mean, solution? It's it just basic mathematics. If you look at the numbers, that's just what's going to happen because the... Uh, the West Bank is, is not a state and it's just growing in size and Israel um, is still in those territories. You have Jewish communities in, in those territories and uh, eventually we're going to end up, you know, just, uh, I don't want to say stuck, but that's going to be the, the case. And uh, I don't know about the, the, the structure or, or the, you know, the governmental uh, structure that's going to uh, take place, but we're going to end up with one state. I don't know how it's going to look like, but it doesn't look like anything that either side is interested in, because it's it's not it's not coming from 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 uh, any agreement or, or shared values or anything like that. It's just coming from the settlements continuing, so there's not even room anymore to have a contiguous or a continuous Palestinian state. So 
Correct. We're it's just, just going gonna gonna to grow be, into each other. a bunch of spots growing into each other. Exactly. Hating each other, not agreeing on things. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll just merge somehow uh, organically. Look, I, if, I, if the maybe if there's a bit of a hopeful message, if, if the country just eventually ends up being these people that hate each other, merging into one nation, it'll be like America. Well, um, no, I, I, I sadly I disagree with you. I think that um, in America it was a very different story. You decided, you actively decided to to create a, a state. You know, I didn't mean in the in the creation part. My analogy was not perfect. I meant now in America, how we just have a bunch of people that see the world completely differently, think the other one is seeing the world wrong and is trying to to sabotage the worldview of the other. And they have mm. to live together. Mm. Republicans and Democrats is not a far analogy, is not a far cry from Palestinians and Arabs, really, oh, the way things are going now. No, I, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't make this analogy. I mean, of you're course, talking it's about not quite uh, the same. Two, two different. Uh, uh, you're talking about democratic factions within one state, and here you're talking about very different society. I was more making a joke, but. <laughs> but, but very okay, different I'm societies. Sorry. Very early in the morning for me. So, <laughs> but very different um, societies. It is the case. Yes, we're, we are democratic factions. Yeah. Arguably, our president would say that we're not even a democracy anymore. The way he says our elections are rigged, and says our judiciary is rigged, and right. says our media is rigged. Yeah. But all I of mean, those big things aside, gonna, we're, we're heading towards some interesting times, aren't big we? Time. And, big time. Big time. We are. Uh, it's really difficult to know what's going to happen. I mean. Um, uh, anything could happen and uh, I think that um, the Israeli uh, what shocks me is that still if, if I if I were to, to visit a, a British campus now uh, I wonder if they would still be obsessed with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict having you know all these things happening in the past uh, in the past decade probably not I bet less so because they've got stuff on their own doorstep now I mean uh, you could definitely go to Berkeley and check it out and see what's going on there I mean I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to, to, to know I think uh, just to end the, maybe the discussion to say that I, I truly hope that people at least in the ac academic world or in uh, if you talk about student groups and the, the, the people that I've had experience with We'll look at the world in a, in a, the broad set in a, in a broader lens, if I could, you know, if I could uh, put it this way, and just look at things in a, in perspective and just uh, give us a rest a little bit. Maybe we should uh, deal with it ourselves. <laughs> Handle it. What? Just the the youth of the world tackling the problem and saying governments yeah, have failed just, us. You know, I, I don't think that all these um, boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement or anything like that is making a, a real difference on the ground at the end of the day and. Just That's the us, movement of people trying to say yeah, that. Yeah, they're making a lot of noise, but you know. That you should boycott I, Israel and you know, divest from investments there so correct. as to punish the Israeli economy so that people finally make the government say, give, a, make a peace deal with the Palestinians. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at their map, actually, their map is uh, doesn't include Israel at all. So I think their hidden agenda, I'm not sure if it's that hidden, but at least that's what, you know. Um, they're trying to portray themselves as a peace group, but actually what they're calling for is the annihilation of the Israeli state. It doesn't even exist on their, on their map. So they are talking about uh, ending the occupation, but for them ending the occupation means having no Israeli state. They're not talking about withdrawal. So people have to be very careful with, you know, 
flyers and speakers and things that look very sexy and interesting on campus because it has flyers are sexy flyers are very sexy especially if they have the LGBT flag and yeah I saw some like unicorn images it was absolutely nude men and women on unicorns is the LGBT logo here in Israel (laughs) yes I mean you mentioned uh, an activist who was uh, bitten in the cheek and that happened in London uh, during a festival that um, was actually uh, very hateful it was in Israel apartheid, uh, apartheid week and uh, uh, people brought their children there and they had face painting and a lot of fun things and in Jeez. between they talked about death and about um, you know um, things that I think I think we can be. both agree that when that it's very hard to achieve peace when one side wants to annihilate the other that's difficult yes exactly it's very difficult to negotiate it's kind I of mean, a non-starter with when it comes to peace it's a non-starter and, and uh, this is what really, face painters a little superfluous at that point you're absolutely right I think you you when, and when people talk about, you know, let's, we can talk to Hamas because this is exactly what happened in uh, Ireland, for example. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, in Ireland, the other side did not want to annihilate the other side. Well, there were a lot I of mean, terrorist attacks, there were a lot of terrorists Because they had political, uh, uh, they had political um, um, things that, and aims, and, and they thought that they could be achieved or they could be legitimized by terror. But they didn't say, oh, we did don't want the other side to exist. We just think the other side should do A, B, C. Right. But when I, uh, when you ask the Palestinian side, do you agree that we exist in any size, any size, okay? Mm. Next to you, side by side, living in peace. Do you agree? We never get the answer yes. Mm-hmm. So, as long as we don't get that, what are we going to negotiate about? Uh, how are you going to kill us? I mean, how... But are they just saying that as a negotiation tactic? so that they have something to concede in the negotiations? Well, because they have at times that's offered a very, that they... Uh, that's a very uh, <laughs> unsuccessful tactic. It's a strong that, tactic. Yeah. It's a pretty strong, yeah, well, it's an overly you know, strong tactic. And I think it hurts them too. I mean, if you've just been there. It doesn't look that great, right? I mean, no, I mean, it's they, they, not a good situation uh, it's for sure. Not, you know, I'm sure that they would love to... I think the whole region could benefit from a, a prosperous uh, Palestinian state. So let's hope that it does happen one day and can take... I mean, this place could be beautiful. I mean, this place could be beautiful weather. I mean, we could attract so many um, amazing uh, activities and economic economic activities and tourists and, and be a place for pleasure, really. I mean, it shouldn't be this. I've had an amazing time. And I mislabeled him in the earlier part of this podcast with... Mikhail, my Israeli tour guide during the first part of my trip where I was talking about Trump and I called him the great white hope but it really is the great orange hope and maybe in my dream scenario since he is one of his only strong suits is that the man is good at forging deals because he's just so stubborn maybe he can forge a deal and get impeached a month or two later. If he does Perfect that, scenario. if he does that, well, you know. Give him the Nobel Peace Prize and the impeachment. That would be a Guinness Book of World Record Absolutely. there, too. Who knows? You know, so many people have tried. You never know. Sometimes it, it takes, I don't know. It takes know, a disruptor. A lunatic. I don't it know. Takes yeah, it takes a lunatic sometimes. Yeah, it takes a lunatic. True. So, a village of lunatics. I can only pray that in my lifetime, in your lifetime, Ben, we'll, we'll see this 
peace and we'll have some peace of mind. And as your dad said to me at dinner the other night celebrating your birthday and his, happy birthday to both of you, by the way. Thank you so much. As I said, it's really nice being 21. You're, yeah, you, or, um, you, I thought you were 19. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, you went to Cambridge when you were nine. Um, Correct. <laughs> point, point is, he, he, he said that a lot of people say you can't make deals unless you really get everything that you want. And he realized that everything that he's done, it's not true. You have to take whatever agreements you can get, even if it's broadly defined, even if it's not all the things that you want, just because that can lead, like you said, to the future tilting towards peace. It'll then raise the next generation being a little less hateful, thinking it's a little more cooperation. And maybe future generations will be raised to respect yeah. each other more and maybe eventually that peace can come look history is a pendulum some here you know and, and uh, previous generations thought that you know we're always progressing you know the idea of, of modernism and stuff and we're progressing and it's not always the case sometimes we go backwards sometimes we're sure. we become more primitive and 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 uh, narrow-minded and let's hope that you know we will become uh, more enlightened uh, i do like to think though as obama always said that the arc of history bends towards progress don't you think bends towards justice i truly hope so but you know what the overall uh, we we should have known better because we we know more we know about past atrocities that happened in history so you would expect that we would know better but you see unfortunately and I talk from uh, my point of view and I'm a secular person I would like to see a more secular world a more a world that is based on, on 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 science and facts and that would and, solve the problem uh, yeah less less uh, religion focused in general and I'm talking from you know I'm, I'm Jewish and I'm saying this uh, about Judaism too ditto um, yeah. and and it's not even the world needing to become fully secular even though the world is becoming more atheist statistically it's just one simple thing I've said it a thousand damn times all the religions of the world and the religious people of the world need to embrace is one simple little tweak to their religious beliefs believe all you want believe fervently in your religion just acknowledge that maybe you're wrong if you just get rid of the needing to be the only oh, right wow. answer and you just say this is what we believe but well, take we know fervently take take fervently out of the you know what i didn't mean say, yeah fervently know? was the wrong use of word don't believe fervently believe whatever you want whatever gives you comfort in your own yeah. personal life and your family life but just acknowledge since none of us were alive back then in biblical times we don't know for a hundred percent sure so we're not going to kill you over our belief of a thing we weren't around for that's it that one tweak just say maybe we're wrong we're pretty sure we're right but we allow some margin of error well, then, then the world would be good. We wouldn't be having all these conflicts. We'd realize that's a brilliant idea, but that basically undermines uh, most religions that say that they are the only ones and they are the. But can't the, they just change that one the... that one little bylaw? Put an asterisk in I, there. I, 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 asterisk. Yeah, I yeah. we think. Yeah, exactly. Having more question marks, but you know, most religions rely on the fact that people don't ask questions because this gives more power. Because to again, the it's leader. all about power. Like you it's just said about, about yeah. power for the for the leaders of Hamas that are manipulating their people and the, and the power the of the Israeli government that yeah. are trying to hold people hostage by by yeah. getting their block together in America. It's about power and keeping power more than helping the country having a seat. It's easier you to keep power by keeping exactly. people separated. If you keep if you make people doubt then you're in trouble 
then it means that you cannot rule forever. And this is actually the hope for the Middle East, that people no longer, you can't hide things from people. This is the one positive thing that I would like to end the discussion with, that, you know, with social media yes. and, and things like that, at least people know what's going on in other places. I mean, we've seen so many, uh, there is chaos and, and we don't know which, you know, people sometimes protest and they don't know what they're protesting for and what they want to achieve, but at least people cannot hide for much longer. I mean, we know about Assad's atrocities, we know about other things that are happening, and if that, I, I can only hope that this knowledge will be used for good. That is the only hope, is that the democratization of information will lead to, to more that, of a democratic That indeed democratic we are seeing thinking. democratization of information and not, you know, some people claim that actually knowledge is, is you know, is used uh, because we have big corporations like Google and, and Google and, and yeah. Facebook actually controlling information. But, you know, I can only hope that uh, people will will use information wisely and there will be democra dem a democracy of ideas. Let us pray, my sweet cousin. <laughs> can people follow you online anywhere? you want to plug anything? Well, um, currently I work for the Israeli parliament and I represent clients. I'm a strategic uh, consultant. So um, just follow me for now on Facebook. I'm a little bit old-fashioned, so I don't use Instagram. Gilly uh, Brenner. My name is Gilly, G-I-L-I and Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R. If you want to ask me questions or talk to me or just... Uh, visit Tel Aviv and, and you know have some questions go for it and yeah, my friend's keeping her luggage at her house right exactly. now exactly well you know for, for a humble payment I'll do anything you know very kind of you <laughs> thank you so much for uh, your thoughts and your and I, hope, your, I hope it was you know uh, slightly interesting and, oh it is uh, at least was slightly interesting and I think and then some and thank you for accompanying me to the airport. I Whenever feel much more safe Whenever you go home more now. confused, it's a good sign. It That's means that you know it's, it's very thought-provoking. So I'm again, I'm now more confused than I was this morning, but that's good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because con through confusion, at least it means you're thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Love you, Gary. Thank you. I love you, Ben. Well, that's my amazing cousin right there. Wish I could see her more often. Now you got to know her a little bit too. You probably wish you could meet her. Maybe not. I don't know you. I don't know what things move you and what kind of people you like. But you can say hi to her on Facebook at Gilly Brenner, uh, B-R-E-N-N-E-R. Um, and now for the last part, a short 15-minute or so conversation taking place on a train going back from Long Island to Manhattan, to Penn Station. Um, after we took that airplane flight, I took my girlfriend to dinner on with some friends and um, randomly on this plane, Nick brought along his friend named Nayef Zoror, a Lebanese man who saw some crazy things in his life and had some crazy timings occur that really changed his perspective. And I think you'll find this a really nice way to end all the madness and back and forth and problems we've heard throughout the course of this podcast. Um, we had this conversation the evening of the botched terrorist attack in the New York transit system earlier that day as Jacqueline and I were flying to New York. We heard of the attack. They were about to take off for New York. And um, the guy just basically set off a bomb on his own chest. And no one died, thankfully. 
There were no serious injuries either. But we were driving, flying, or going back on a train again on, on, on New York Transit during this day and had this really interesting, cool, uh, hopeful talk, I believe, with this really cool dude named Nayef Zaror. So take a listen to this, and this will be the end of the podcast. It'll go straight into the closing song and the good nights. Thanks for listening, and I really hope that you guys learned something and enjoyed this tour through the Middle East. And to wrap this thing up, I am here on a train going from Long Island back to Manhattan. And uh, we just had an amazing day. I took my girlfriend Jacqueline on my friend Nick with Ventura Flights, a tiny six-seater airplane, to dinner in New Haven, Connecticut. An incredible thing. She got to fly the plane. I flew the plane. And I brought two friends along with me. And Nick brought one friend along with him. And this awesome dude named Nayev... Zoror. We're new friends, and so I just asked him his last name moments before I said it now, and I already forgot it, but now I'll remember it forever. <laughs> there it is. Nayev Zoror, uh, a very interesting dude from Ohio, but a little more than from Ohio, so I'll let him take it from there. Sure. So uh, the story that I had shared at dinner was in 2006, I was spending some time in uh, Lebanon, and I wa- I'm from Lebanon. I'm from America as well, dual citizenship, and I was spending time there when the conflict between Hezbollah and Israel had broken out. And uh, throughout the course of the conflict and throughout the war, you know, you get to do and see and experience things throughout the war that that frankly no 19-year-old kid should ever have to do or see or experience. But uh, through that experience, I ended up leaving my house that my family lives at uh, a few hours before it actually had gotten bombed from planes. And uh, I had a cousin die. My whole family was injured. And by the time that I had gotten into Syria, I had found out about the house. Uh, I spent about a week in Syria homeless trying to figure out how to get back to the United States. Finally got a flight out from Damascus to Milan, Italy. Spent another... uh, My memory's fuzzy, but right around three to five days in the Milan airport uh, before I finally made it back to JFK, Kennedy, and New York. And that experience really opened up my eyes to what it means to... Uh, have empathy and the story that I how you would think could you think that that would make you so angry it did so initially the my gut reaction when I first got back to the states and I'm allowed to swear on this absolutely so my first gut reaction was like you know what fuck Israel and fuck Jews and fuck this and how there was just so much hate bent up in me from the experience and I decided at that moment that I had needed to seek out seek out uh dialogue with Jewish people, with Israeli people, to be able to understand their perspective. And the more and more conversations I had, I kept asking them, I said, how could you defend or how can you justify what happened in Lebanon? How can you justify what happened to my 17-year-old cousin? And they would turn the questions on me and say, well, how can you justify what's happening in Haifa? How can you justify what's happening in Tel Aviv? And the simple answer was, I, I could never have justified it. And they said the same thing. And I realized in that moment that we were, we were each other's oppressors. And since then, I'm holding on to every day from the past. Yeah, we hold on. And at this point in time, it, it's so hard to even say who threw the first stone. We're both fighting. And even if there's a first, who cares at this point? 
that you at some point, to ever, you, if you're not going to settle an old score, eventually it never gets settled. Never gets settled. So and you got to start a clean slate at some point. Got to start a clean slate, and like life is worth living, and that's what I want to show them is that 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 there's more to life than than fighting for what they call as honor or dig- there is more to life and and. and more to experience on both sides. Because if you're fighting for honor, it's always made me confused too. If you're fighting for honor to the death, you're fighting to preserve what you love about life, which is honor. But if you die, then you're done. You're done. That's when the fight stops, when you're done or when you're dead. So what's the point of the fight if it never reaches conclusion, you end up just dying and no one ever wins? Exactly. So I I had a friend tell me something that changed my life because in in that moment I was so angry and and I was said I would be willing to die to help the people there free and the people being both Israelis and Arabs and he said well why would you die for it when you can live for it and I thought that was so much more of a powerful statement uh, to to live and to dedicate your life to something versus giving your life to something because there's so much more time so many more people that you can connect with create dialogue with and and hopefully change their hearts towards something that's a little bit lighter and happier and loving people are so quick always to put their life on the line, especially in some of these more extremist ideologies, I all, I often find it's, like I used to have an old stand-up joke, that it's like, if you were at a meeting for Al-Qaeda, and Osama bin Laden was like, alright, here's the plan, you're going to be a suicide bomber, I would raise my hand and be like, look, I get that maybe it's like a backup plan, but what's the first plan? Is it first talking, then arguing, then arm wrestling, then fighting, then maybe random bombing? It's like, it doesn't make sense. That's the first option. Also, I have to be in the explosion. Can I set the bomb? If I can't set it, then I can be part of it. It's like, why is it always just me? Because they're, they're clearly using people as pawns to fight wars that the people themselves don't even understand the causes of or the origins of. Oh, yeah. It, 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 there, there's no escalation. It goes from zero to 100. And right. It's, like, it's immediately, okay, the only option here is death. And, and I, I don't believe in that. I believe that there are dialogue. And, I love to ask people, especially when they say, I'm willing to die for this. I said, okay, but are you willing to have a conversation for it? Uh, and they often are not. They're often are not. not that without, makes zero sense when you say it like that so starkly. Yeah, it's like, okay, you're willing to die. Yes, you'll lay your life down. Yes, you'll take a bullet for it. Yes. Will you eat some hummus with them? <laughs> <laughs> Will you share some, some bread and some hummus? And it's, al- it's always a pause and like, well, I would if they... D- no, no, no. If there's an if, right? then, then now, now there's... Now there's expectations attached to it. So it's, it's about, no, let's just sit down and realize there's another human who has needs and desires and wants and fulfillments and culture that they also want to preserve too, just like you do. And I think what we'll find is our food is the same. Our cultures are the same. Uh, like you, you were know, saying, swear words swear in Swear words are the same. In Hebrew are actually Arabic swear words. They are Arabic swear words, yeah. And I mean, that was that was one of the greatest. And the best things. swear words growing up where I grew up in Southern California were Persian swear words. So I know all those. Perfect. Yeah. And so, like, when, when I found that out, it was from two Israeli kids in LaGuardia Airport. And they said, well, yeah, we don't have swear words in Hebrew. So we swear in Arabic. I was like, no, you don't. And they instantly were like, kusuchta, kusemak, and like started cussing me out in kusemak, Arabic. Kusemak, yeah, sure. It's my yeah. mom's favorite swear word. Yeah, kusemak. She's Israeli. Yeah, do you actually know what it means? Oh, well, it's like your mom's body parts. Yeah, your, your mother's body parts. Yeah. So it's like when they said that, I just started laughing and I realized, wow, like, what a what an interesting and funny way to bond with somebody over the over swear words and over curse words and things that are bad and like there are just so many ways to change hearts and through dialogue and through understanding and through simply breaking bread. 
and and that's really the conversation that we wanna that we wanna bring and inspire uh, to create change in the region. Someone should do a TV series instead of Breaking Bad, Breaking Bread. Breaking Bread. It's about even more intense conflict, but can you get to a resolution that doesn't end with Walter White? Well, I don't want to spoiler alert everybody, but right, right. And, I, and I'm not gonna sit here and 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 make promises that I know how to solve anything. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than you, but. I think what we can do as individuals is just open dialogue and humanize it. And the more we can normalize what I will call interracial relationships, sure. the more that it becomes like, oh, whoa, whoa, they're, whoa, they're not all bad. And like, while that's usually taken into a bad context, that's actually the start of something good in that region. Is Because right now, the conversation is they're all bad. It sucks that it takes such extreme moves sometimes, but it's like what Warren Beatty said at the end of Bullworth, where he goes, we all just need a fuck to wear the same color. Exactly, but but you doesn't have to shouldn't have to come through us literally becoming the same race to respect that we're all the same even though we're different races. Right, but we we are different races, but we're all human. Exactly, people always identify the subgroup more importantly than the bigger group. I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. More importantly than I'm American. I'm American. More importantly than I'm human. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you care more about the subdivision? That's like saying, I'm a pitcher. I only care about being a pitcher in the major league. Fuck the Dodgers. No, you're on a team. You're always on part of something bigger than yourself. And whenever you think your smaller group's more important, it's obviously wrong because you're negating the, the more essential part of who you are, the core of who you are. You can build on top of that flourish and detail and flavor, but it doesn't change the value. Spot on, spot on. And, and it's, it's funny because we... we attach ourselves to these ideologies and these names and these titles because if we feel like that's how it defines us but and religion plays such a big part into into this region and into the conflict it loves to divide people it loves to divide people but like if we take the religion and really look at it so both religions look at how god made earth for us right, right. he put the animals here for us the plants the food the vegetation and look how we're treating the earth like if we are really believers and followers of god like he gave us this earth. How would, how would he or she feel if we gave the earth back in the condition that it's in right now? Like, we should be preserving the earth if we are really God-fearing right. people. Like It's like, not the teachings of the religion that are wrong about that. They get that right. It's, right. it's great values. It's the organization of the religions that manipulate it for greedy reasons, for money reasons, for reasons to keep people under control, their flock under control, their parishioners under control. Exactly what it is. I just hosted a series for Headline News called Aspirist, and my assignment piece was to fly to Iowa to interview this, this woman who's part of this group called Evangelicals for Climate Action. She was trying to convince evangelicals. People to call God's green earth. She's like, we're supposed to be stewards of God's earth. It shouldn't be a political, uh, a, a politicized issue that Republicans convince all of all religious people and uh, religious people convince each other that only liberals care about the environment, and so therefore climate change isn't real. No, it should be much more a religious issue. It's yeah. protecting the earth God gave us. It's not even. It's a living species issue. I mean, this is something that goes beyond politics, goes beyond religion, and even goes beyond the human species. This is something that I feel like if you are God-fearing, you should be fighting for this earth more than anybody else. Because God made this earth for us, for us to live in. He put the plants specifically where those plants are, those animals specifically where those animals are. And, and you know, we're not taking care of it. We're not doing it. We're not doing a good job. Uh, of, you know, it's like if somebody gives you an item and like, okay, here, borrow my lawnmower and bring it back to me. If you bring it back in the condition that earth is in right now, you're not going to be friends with that person anymore. So, and I find that so interesting because we're giving the earth back eventually. 
and, and you can't return the lawnmower and say, no, no, this is just a natural cycle for this lawnmower. It'll get it'll get better again. No, it won't. It's just obvious science, math, and physics right in front of you. Right. I mean, this is beautiful. Look, look around us, the flowers, the plants, the animals, the air, the water. Like, this is heaven. God made heaven right. here. It's, I mean, this might not be paradise. This might not be the very end, and I, I, I don't know. But what I do know is we have heaven. We have it right here. We have an amazing place, that's for sure. And, and you know, we just need to honor and respect We just flew that. over it tonight. It's gorgeous from any... It's like I can take a step further removed. Just a step above where you, where you don't hear the noise. You don't hear the arguments. It's just beautiful how we all live in concert with each other. Yeah, I've never... Regardless of race, regardless and of... And there's a bombing today yeah. in New York City. In New York City. Where we are. Yeah, it's... Luckily, that... that, that it didn't, nobody it, died in. Nobody died. There was no serious injuries. I'm so happy about that. The guy apparently like set it off on himself, which is really how all bombings should and go. It was That's premature. The best. Yeah, it, it happened prematurely. Like it, apparently he didn't do a good job, and I'm really he immediately thankful. said this has never happened before. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm really glad he Usually, was a shitty bomb maker. Yeah, no kidding. The guy was like, too excited. Yeah, because just I mean, the right amount of excited. Yeah, it could have been really bad, and it was funny because New Yorkers are resilient. I was on yeah. a train when I found out about it. And I could see other people instantly getting text messages, and everyone kind of looked around at each other and gave each other like a reassuring head nod, like yeah. we're New Yorkers, nothing stops. And that's just New Yorkers, Americans are resilient, and people are resilient. My girl and I were flying to New York today, and we're right now on New York public transit. The same evening after it happened. Yeah, I mean, we're not going anywhere. We're not running. We're not. You know, this this is home, and we're we will fight with love to support our home and to show everyone that that everyone is welcome here with good intentions and that we can really make this a really amazing trip for all of us. I love that. And in the spirit of, you know, us all being brothers and one species and all being together, I, it's my obligation to tell you, there's this little, like, jacket fuzz in the tip of your nose. Let me just get that for you. <laughs> there you go. Should I make a wish? Is I that how that works? you make a wish on a jacket fuzz, but feel free, sure. I wish for peace and love. I love that. <laughs> There it is. And we're going to create it. I it's, love that. It's up to us. And, like, we cannot continue to wait on other people to create it or to recycle or to be conscious. Be the be change. Woke. We have to do it. And it's these individual little tiny efforts that beget change, that beget change. And it's the butterfly effect, right? So we Forward have, motion begets forward motion. Exactly. And, and the more you act as a conscious, awakened citizen, human more you will influence others to realize that it is cool and it is great and it is the right way to live a life is to to do that and by by showing people that you live a good life and showing people that you're going to you're going to unconsciously influence them to do the same and you're we are powerful powerful beyond measure and it doesn't take a lecture it doesn't take you don't have to be an influencer you can just do it every single day through meaningless interactions that have so much meaning and if you want to have sex with other races feel free oh please i, I would Go strongly encourage it. that it's always fun babies come out beautiful yeah I, I i love my girlfriend dearly but we we constantly joke about how we both traveled the world sexually how we wanted to and we both visited all the countries that we uh -huh. wanted to and uh yeah i, I would i would highly encourage it my bed post is the epcot center babe <laughs> Uh, you're also an acro yoga instructor. You live in LA. How can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Nayef Zoror. I'll spell that out. That's at N A Y E F, as in Falcon. Last name Z A R R O U R. Love it so much, man. Thank you so much for those wise words. 
And we've been on a trip through an ages-old conflict tonight, listening to this podcast. And uh, hopefully we at least have a better understanding of all of the things that have caused us to be so at odds. And hopefully now we have some maybe clues or thoughts or insights into how we can just put that behind us and move forward as a planet because we only got one or one species or one planet if we had multiple i'd say fuck it keep the wars going but we only do have the one got one and and i just want to thank you for doing what you do and the service that you do uh because it's so necessary you have an audience you have a voice and the fact that you're using it to create positive impact means so much to people like me that don't have a voice that are on the kind of the ground so thank you for doing that thank you for for talking to me about this and letting me share my voice a little bit i mean it means everything absolutely man my pleasure lebanese and israelis unite yes you're my habibi yes right man palestinians and jews unite republicans and democrats unite humans unite humans unite man yeah it's even like be nicer to animals i mean i do like eating them sometimes that's a topic for another episode (laughs) um let's end this episode with as cliche or cheesy as it may sound it seems a little bit too apropos how about bob marley one love one love always until last week next week this has been last week on earth respect This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>